Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. It is Friday, weekend upon us, at least within a couple of hours for most everybody. How are you? Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Carl Schaub is running the board for us today. Eddie Garrison, the CEO, is off today. And it is strange because not only is it a Colts bye week, but the reality is, Jimmy, for the Pacers, it kind of feels like a bye week. Because they have this odd gap where they get back into the swing of things coming up on Sunday against the Orlando Magic. But a couple of days off, uh, and last night actually had a really good time at Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the annual Come to Our House Thanksgiving dinner for the needy in Indianapolis put on by Tyrese Halliburton. U.S. Foods was a contributor to that, and I had the pleasure of scooping mashed potatoes. I had, I think, the most popular thing there. The mashed potatoes. Now, now, Miles Turner was next to me. He was serving the turkey. Um, one woman who actually was one of the so once once all of those who had come to eat were were served, then people that worked for like the sponsoring, you know, they were everybody was kind of allowed to come up. One of those women came up and said to Miles Turner, and I quote, "I just found out that the Pacers traded Paul George." I thought, well, okay. did you ask her how long the coma had been or was that, how'd you go about that from there? I was like, you're not going to believe what's going to happen in a couple of years when you got to wear a mask everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was like, well, I, I don't really, I don't think Miles Turner knew what to say to that. Um, but it was fun. And Miles Turner was, was fun to work with. Uh, we had a good time and gave out, um, you know, there, it, it was interesting seeing some of the people that came up for seconds and, they were, and this is what is amazing to me, Jimmy. It, the people that we served last night, and I, and I think it was like 600 people or something like that, were so gracious, number one, but so polite and thankful and keenly aware that, like, for example, I mean, I was in charge of mashed potatoes, and they the, the, the tray that I had at one point, you know, obviously, as it would get low, there was somebody monitoring it. And they'd come and they'd bring you another thing of full of mashed potatoes. But for one of them, I was getting down towards the end of it, and I was getting ready to serve it to a guy. And he, and you know, I'm getting ready to plop it, and he says, "Oh, oh no, it doesn't look like there's enough for everybody." And wow. I go, "No, no, no, I, it, it's fine. You know, here you go." And then I cleaned out the the, tr- the rest of the tray because I knew they were bringing the new one in. But it's just the fact that you know, here are people that just due to different circumstances in life and, and curveballs and, and luck and, you know, maybe in some of their own cases by their own admission, bad decisions, whatever it might be, but they find themselves in that position. Yet those are the people that I have found more often than not are the ones that are the most keenly aware of their neighbor. And, and it was it was truly, um, it was a pleasure. I, I want to thank Pacer Sports and Entertainment for letting me come out and, and do that yesterday. It was fun. Um, then you had, of course, the big story in the NFL last night, and it does have impact to the Colts. 
And that is, and by the way, we're going to talk to one of the Pacers coming up, Obi Toppin, in just a couple of minutes. One of the big show that we have lined up today, Eric Edholm will join us from the NFL Network. We have the two-minute drill. We're going to whip around to a number of different cities and get you caught up on what's going on in terms of what is the pulse of different sports cities that are kind of connected to Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen joins us on the show as well. Um, But that Joe Burrow situation last night, I think everybody knows by now, Jimmy, what took place. Joe Burrow with the wrist injury where all of a sudden he just couldn't he, – he threw the ball and literally something just gave way. And now this looks like a hornet's nest, right, of, you know, how long did they know about this? Did the Bengals keep it – you know, were they above board? Uh, Cincinnati, a team that we were waiting to put it together and looked like they might have the best team in the AFC, but, man, that team has absolutely been a mass unit. And, look, I need to have this on a sign behind my head. I am not a doctor. But if that's... I I don't think you need to let people know that. I appreciate that. Thank you. If that's a sprained wrist, then the Bengals are one of the luckiest franchises maybe in NFL history. Him not being able like that, that's a horrifying sight on the sideline. See your quarterback just trying to do warm-up throws and he can't grip the ball. If that's what that is, then that's the best case scenario for them, I think, with that injury. Yeah, it was not a pretty scene uh, at all. Not a pretty scene at all. Uh, do we have Obi Toppin? I said Mike with the Pacers, so I guess he's with Obi Toppin. So I would assume that that means we have Obi Toppin. Uh, Obi Toppin joining us now, coming off of his finest performance, as a matter of fact, as a Pacer in their big win over Philadelphia. 27 the other night in the city of brotherly love, and now the Pacers and Magic on Sunday. Obi, I'm going to begin with this, and thanks for joining us. Um, yes, sir. It almost feels like a bye week for you guys. I, it, is that just in the NBA scheduling of things to have this many days off? Do you all of a sudden you wonder like what you're supposed to do? I mean, nah, just because of the simple fact, like we coming in the gym every single day, uh, putting in some type of work, even if there's off days. So all these guys have been working. We're still working to get better and grow as a team. So, were you, now were you there last night? I was just talking about the, you know, the the great event that took place at the Fieldhouse, and I thought I heard yeah. your name. I didn't see you there. I was scooping mashed potatoes. Um, <laughs> now, were you, which which role were you on? I was on the I was on the fruit salad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling yes, you what, uh, man, it was uh, it was a pretty cool event, and and I listen. You know, for Tyrese Halliburton to kind of be the face of that event, but you know, for you, new to Indianapolis, and and, and a lot of the newer faces, Buddy Hield was down the way from me. Miles Turner was scooping turkey next to me. I just think yes, it's a sir. really cool event for you guys, and and it's got to be a good kind of team building event as well, right? I'll tell you what, um, it was definitely an amazing event, and for all the guys who came out to to help out with that, we're all. Uh, it definitely was amazing, not only for our team, but for the city. So uh, there's going to be plenty more of that for different holidays. So, Obi Toppin is our guest. Obi, when I look at your career, and if I'm wrong on this, please jump across me and tell me. But when I look at your career, I look at a player that was drafted top 10, that was looked upon to be a, you know a, a franchise player and never really got the right opportunity to fulfill that in New York. Do you feel like here in Indiana based on a number of factors that were present in New York that aren't here with the Pacers, especially your role on this team. Do you feel like you have a better opportunity to reach the potential that you want to reach? Uh, Yeah, I feel like first New York was amazing. Obviously that's my hometown. So 
I don't want to bash New sure, York. Sure. Uh, definitely had a great time out there. But, um, but nah, coming out to Indy, um, having this new start kind of to, to my career, um, definitely having a lot of great guys, uh, teammates and coaches around me. Uh, it's been helping me a lot. They want to see me grow. And they're out there helping not only myself, but we're helping each other uh, get better every single day to be the team that we want to be. So, Obi, I don't know if you saw it or not. Obi Toppin of the Pacers is our guest here on Querying Company. Rob Mahoney from The Ringer wrote a really good column about your teammate Tyrese Halliburton. But you were kind of an epicenter to that column because it talked about how he was a player that you saw and you said, that's a guy that I'd love to play with. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there accuracy to that? And can Tyrese Halliburton's style of play be one that helps you guys draw other players to Indiana? I mean, who wouldn't want to play with Ty? Like, obviously, like, he's he's obviously a great player. That's no secret. But he's so unselfish as a teammate for for the amount of um, attention that he brings to himself. Like, he's so unselfish, but he still gets his uh, offensively, defensively. He's just willing to to see other people succeed, not only himself. He wants to help his teammates out, uh, get better and grow, and he wants to see his team win. So he's going to do whatever he can to go out there and help not only himself but help others uh, be successful because if everyone's being successful, that means the team's being successful. So uh, he's going to continue doing that, and so is everybody else. I have asked this question to a lot of guys, Obi, especially on this team, because it's fascinating to me about this Pacers group that for now seems very unselfish. But that is this. You, like at Dayton, you were on a team that probably got robbed more than anybody in the history of the NCAA because you guys were going to be a number one seed. I mean, you you might have won it all, right? I mean, let's be honest. Dayton may have won it all. Um, Come on. You you know that. I know. I know. And, and, And it was a great story, right? But Not but sure. but you, when you got to the league, you had yeah. always played a role on a team where you were the guy, and then right. you come to Indiana where Tyrese Halliburton's the guy, or if he's right. off that night, you know it's by rotation. How does one change their philosophy to having the humility to know that they now have a role they have to fill? I mean, it's the NBA. Oh, I feel like anybody who comes into the NBA doesn't have the the expectations of being the guy on any team like everybody in the NBA was their guy was that guy in college so it's like you just got to accept the role and I feel like most of the NBA is role players so being able to accept your role going to any team and playing your role really well is is what keeps you in the league um you don't have to go out there and be a dominant scorer unless that's what they're asking you to do but like my job I'm not out there having to score 30, 40 points every single game uh, to be successful. Like, I could score 15 points, 10 points, and still be successful as a, as a player on the court. But that that just goes for a team. Like, everybody on our team knows the role that we got to play. Um, obviously, we play through uh, Tyrese. We play through Miles. But everybody on the team knows our role. And every time we get into the game, we know what we got to do to be successful. So, Tell me the moment, Obi Toppin, whether it be in a workout, maybe it was in a game, maybe it was yep. on the bus, but tell me the moment where the reality and the epiphany hit you as to the current culture of the Indiana Pacers, where you literally went, okay, so that's how it is here, and I'm down with that. That moment was when. I mean, yeah, as soon as I got to the team, like 
as soon as uh, the trade went through, uh, everybody started texting me, uh, welcome to the team. Uh, we went out to Vegas, uh, obviously got some practices, or not practices, but workouts in, and was able to just meet up with the guys and, and kind of hung out. And from there, it was just like the culture was totally different already. Like, we we kind of do everything together. Um, we're very close. And, and, yeah, like, we just – like I feel like our off court is what helps us on court, um, us being together. So, Pacers forward Obi Toppin with us here on Query and Company. Obi, where do you feel the biggest area that your game has grown over the last year? Um, I feel like I'm trying to grow a lot of a lot of uh, places in my game. Um, there's always room for improvement, but I feel like just knowing my role. Um, uh, obviously coming to this new team, uh, they kind of wanted me to be that that running guy like obviously everybody knows me from running the floor really well and we we're so fast as a team because not only myself but Tyrese Bruce um and everybody on our team just runs and so like I just I feel like what helped me as a player like I just found what my role was and I'm just trying to get better in that role as time goes so aside from Tyrese Halliburton who would you Obi Toppin say is the most selfless player on your roster? Who is the guy that is that absolutely like? If you look yeah. up great teammate in the dictionary, you see a picture of yeah. who? I mean, everybody on our team. Like, I don't feel like anybody on our team selfish in any way. Like, everybody's trying to help each other get better and and be successful. And it's like we have it. We have excitement when other guys do good. Like. Anybody on our team can have a big night any given night, and that's all we want to see. We want to see people do good and be successful. So I wouldn't just play, pick one player. I feel like everybody on our team is that way, and so that's why we've been so successful. So Now, before every game, T.J. McConnell has a specific like handshake for every player, right? Yes, sir. H- h- who, who approached who? When you were a new guy and you had to learn the t- your your <laughs> – your specific handshake greeting with TJ McConnell for the pregame warmups. <laughs> Who comes up with that and how much practice did it take? It's funny because me and TJ just made that up on a fly one game and he was like he just went between his leg and I, I uh made the basketball hoop to dunk. So um so nah TJ's my guy, uh and and I love him so is TJ McConnell this is Obi, this is when I say this, you're gonna and I give you permission to say yeah, this guy on the radio today used the most generic, cliched term of all time, okay? <laughs> is TJ McConnell, though, the proverbial glue guy for your roster? Um, I think I think so, but I think there's a there's a lot of other glue guys on our team uh, that helps us be successful. But TJ alone, like, I feel like he, he's great for this team. Um, he, he's definitely the oldest on the team, so a lot of guys look up to him. He's been in the league for nine years, I think it is. So he does a great job uh, keeping guys together, keeping guys uh, like focused and, and locked in. But nah, TJ is great. Obi, in terms of high-flying electric offense, is this the most free flow you've had since Dayton? For sure. We just we go out there, we play fast, we we have fun, and yeah, we put points on the board. So so definitely. 
What, to, Obi, in terms of defensively, I mean, I think it's no secret, and we've talked about it on this show, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing probably the area I would assume that Rick Carlisle really wants to shore up over the course of the year is your guys' defense. Right. Um, what is the missing ingredient there? What is holding you guys back from being a better defensive team? Um, I feel like it's just it's just working as a team, like helping helping the next guy. Um, like nobody's guarding uh, somebody one-on-one. Uh, the whole game you or to have good defense everybody has to be locked in and help each other if somebody gets beat somebody has to move over help so it's just like finding that finding that connection between everybody uh to help each other on the defensive end I don't think we're we're not the worst defensive team like we definitely getting better as time goes but uh we fit we we lock into the defense I feel like we can be a very dangerous team because that's just going to turn into transition offense and it's no secret, like we're the best transition team in the in the league. So if we can get stops, get steals, it's gonna help us tremendously. So So here's the good news. I'm looking at it here. So you grew up obviously in Brooklyn, right? Or in the New York yes, City sir. area? You could say Brooklyn, yeah. Okay, so your your team growing up, were you a Knicks fan growing up then? Yes, I was definitely a Knicks fan growing up. My whole family was Knicks fans. So. The good news is this, because you were born in ninety eight, that right. means that, that you're not going to upset people here because I'm assuming that like Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason weren't your favorite Knicks because you would be too young for that. So for who sure. was who was your favorite player then growing up? It was it was definitely like more like Carmelo. Uh obviously I like Kobe. Uh I like Braun. Um trying to think KD obviously. I like those guys, but because I was a New York kid, uh Melo was somebody I was I always looked up to, uh, looked at, like he was he was one of my favorite uh, players growing hey, up. Hey, so. for like 40 games, Amari Stoudemire was uh, the man in New York. <laughs> he like, definitely was. And, and then he got hurt, the, the knees gave out, but man, right. I, I think people forget <laughs> how good he was, right? Nah, he was definitely amazing. He, he was one of my favorite players too, but because uh, I had a lot of comparisons to him as I grew up. So um, so definitely, he, he was a great player too. So Yankees or Mets? See, quick story, I was a Yankees fan, but they didn't let me throw the first pitch, so I became a Mets, Mets fan. Yes, I, I like that. So I like that. I'm, Out of spite, I'm right? I'm Mets now. Heck yeah. Definitely. They can put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I'll, the, any blue and orange you had from the Knicks growing up the, or from your time, you can't wear now. You can wear it as a Mets Man, fan, right? Nope, I'm straight. I'm a Mets fan now. Okay, uh, Jets or Giants? And I realize now we're, we're going to just – we're going to tell <laughs> people you're a Colts fan, but Jets or Giants? Definitely, definitely Giants, but I, I grew up in a generation where Giants was good, so I rolled I rolled with them. My dad's a Jets fan though, so I'm Giants. Did your family have any fun with the fact that you became a Pacer? Because obviously they would have been seeing in prime time those Knicks Pacers yeah. rivalries. Nah, for sure. Definitely. Uh my grandfather uh used to have some some battles with some of the Pacers players because uh, he had season tickets uh at the Knicks game. So he told me some stories that I ain't going to tell right now, but he has some great stories of those games. So. Well, Obi, there are only four Pacer players whose jerseys hang in the rafters, and one of them is a Dayton Flyer. So, you know what I mean? Who, I think is it, it wasn't Roger Brown from Dayton? Or, or maybe definitely he was found was. in Dayton. Definitely was. Definitely yeah, yeah. was. Yes, sir. So, okay. you know, so you got, so, so if nothing else, you can take a little bit of like inspiration. If he came from Dayton, I can't remember if he played at Dayton, but that's where he was when yeah, he signed with Indiana. He Dayton. Yeah, but he's from, yeah. he's, he's from New yeah, York, so. but he, but he came to Indiana from Dayton. So right, similar right, path right, right. to you, right? 
Um, yes, sir. Okay, last question for you. Thanksgiving dinner. Ooh. Which which teammate is most likely to actually host and present a Thanksgiving meal, and which yep. one would you absolutely, in no way, shape, or form, eat anything that they prepare? <laughs> I'll definitely host a great meal. Uh, I feel like I got a great chef. Shout out to Chef JD. I have a great chef who will host a great meal for uh, me and the teammates. But the teammate that I won't go to probably would be Jerry's. I don't know if I'm gonna go to Jared's walks uh Thanksgiving. Um yeah, I don't know. He don't have a chef, so I ain't I ain't trusting his cooking. He's too young to know how to cook, right? Exactly. That's why that's He's why still I eating gotta, ramen noodles. He's right out of college. Yeah, I feel like everybody else, Ty, other guys, Miles, they got they got chefs, so the chef's gonna do most of the cooking, but Jared, nah, can't trust his cooking. Obi Toppin again. <laughs> Got the weekend off. Enjoy it. Yes, thanks sir. on behalf Appreciate of the city of Indianapolis. Thanks for you guys putting that on last night for the needy here in Indy. But we'll be looking forward to watching on Sunday against the Orlando Magic. Of course. Appreciate you guys. I appreciate it. Obi Toppin All with right. the Indiana Pacers. By the way, Jimmy, Roger Brown did – he was he had signed to play for the University of Dayton, but there was a point-shaving scandal hmm. that prohibited him from playing in the NCAA. And so as a result of that, he went into basically private business in Dayton when – he was essentially cleared, not officially, but it was determined that perhaps he got kind of a raw deal on the point-shaving allegations against him at Dayton, even though he never played for University of Dayton. So while he was living in Dayton, the Pacers then, when they were starting the ABA franchise, offered him a tryout, and he became arguably the greatest Pacer of all time, not named Reggie Miller. I can't confirm this. You would be better suited to do it than I would, even though I think it, it definitely dates both of us, obviously. But per Wikipedia, always reliable. They say he was the first player the Pacers signed when they were formed. Correct. So no, that's, that's correct. pretty cool. That was when the Pacers were, you know, Mark Monteith in his book Reborn tells this story, you know, obviously in great detail. But when they were putting together the roster, the very first player that they reached out to was Roger Brown, which was somewhat polarizing at the time because Brown, again, his name had been associated with and he had always maintained his innocence in terms of basically um, – you know, other people that he was around were charged with something and he was kind of found to be guilty by association. And the Pacers essentially believed in his innocence I guess, and his ability, obviously, because he was a great player. And as to my understanding, you know, his entire life, he maintained his innocence in that. And I believe later was essentially exonerated for it. But in 1960, it cost him the opportunity to play for the University of Dayton. Uh, but thanks to Obi Toppin for joining us again 27 the other night in Philadelphia and his athleticism above the rim you know I think the Pacers are certainly excited and optimistic about his his lob ability with Tyrese Halliburton right and his ability to play above the rim uh, when we come back we talked about Joe Burrow and what took place in Cincinnati the NFL is looking into that a little more severely but the real question becomes even though that is some 112 miles south of us on I-74, how did what happened with the Bengals have impact on West 56th? We will examine exactly that. When we come back on now, a sun-peaking Friday. Quarry and Company, 93.5107.5 The Fan. By the way, I should probably point out, so Carl, who is running the board for us, is a native of Los Angeles, came to Indianapolis a handful of years ago to work peripherally within the radio industry, more on the television side of things. And you want to talk about thrown to the wolves. 
uh, Eddie went. Eddie has taken a few days off, deservedly so, and so we throw Carl in. And then we literally have had like flying arrows all over the place with different stuff going on with the show itself. And then occasionally spontaneous like pop-up interviews like Obi Toppin and thanks to the Pacers for doing that. Um, but Carl, and literally like we essentially just decided to put you in at the quarterback position and then have you go against the, the 85 Bears in the 4-6 zone, right? It's baptism so, by fire. So thank you for – well, and you're wearing your asbestos suit, so we appreciate that, right? Because <laughs> you have so far been impermeable to it. So You know, it I look around here and I think to myself, hmm – Maybe that's why other companies have HR departments. <laughs> that's right. The, the query company HR department's lacking, notably because we don't have one. And why do we not have an HR department? Because the only time you hear from them, you're fired, right? Um, hey, good afternoon to you. Last night we saw Joe Burrow and that boy, I'll tell you what, there's a lot going on with that, Jimmy, between Joe Burrow like suddenly not able to grip a football, the Ravens running away from Cincinnati last night, and then you have the whole firestorm topic of sideline reporters and whether or not, you know, and one of them admitting that she just makes up reports and is that a big deal or is it not? Are people overreacting or are they not? Did the Bengals, in terms of sideline reports, not sideline reports, but NFL reports, did they were they too vague about Joe Burrow's health? Going into the game, was this a pre-existing injury? It's kind of like my rental car in Belgium, right? Yes. Like Joe Burrow all of a sudden shows up with a big scratch, and it's like, well, wait a minute. This, was, this wasn't on your rental agreement, that, which is what they're claiming with me. And it's still an ongoing process. But um, Oh, you've not given up yet. All right. No, good, good, no, good, buddy. Good, good, good. 700 bucks, would no, you? Well, I, I, the, good Lord. The last time we spoke about it, it seemed like that, that was it. That was all she wrote. So I'm glad oh, the fight's still going on. Believe you me. <laughs> they haven't rang the bell just yet. Other but- aspect of this that deserves talking about in regards to the Burrow thing, and it's not that big a deal, but the only other operation that relies more on injury reports than the teams themselves and the NFL league offices is who in your mind? In Instead today's of- society, okay. who relies more prevalently oh. on injury reports than the NFL and the teams themselves. Well, the, the entire thing, whether they want to admit it or not, Jimmy, the NFL is a stickler about injury reports because they want to make absolutely certain that their partners within the sports gambling yes. apps feel there's yep. an integrity of what they are predicting. Yes, without a doubt. Correct. And I mean, I'm not saying that's the only reason why this is tough because he played, right? Like he gave it a go. And if you believe Zach Taylor, he says he wasn't aware of any injury with him going into the game, I will admit the video, if you haven't seen it of him getting off the plane or or not the plane, but getting off the bus into the stadium, he's wearing something on his wrist. Some people said it's a, like a a brace or it's a, like a grip of some kind, you know, now since deleted video on the Bengals Twitter account. So there's, there's a weird element of, did they fully follow the rules of injury reporting? But that's one side story. And the other aspect of it is, Again, not a doctor, clearly, but he couldn't, like, grip the ball, just throwing it, warm it up on the sideline. Well, he dropped it, yeah, out of total exasperation and and desperation, right? Like, so I... Frustration. I I hope, for the NFL's sake, for Joe Burrow's sake, for the Bengals' sake, I hope it is just a sprain, and he's out a couple of weeks. Because if he's not, and he's out for 
the year, like if that's where this goes, on the one hand, from a Colts perspective, that makes the playoff picture a little bit more okay. appetizing. But for the NFL as a whole, you're losing a star team on a franchise that is obviously in the contention window, and that stinks. Give me a grocery store off the top of your head. Kroger. Kroger. Okay. So, you're at Kroger. That's ironic because Joe Burrow is a sponsor for Kroger. Well, well Kroger's based in Cincinnati, are they not? Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, so, you're so you're at Kroger. Yep. There are, you're, you're sitting there and you're waiting with your cart. Yes. It's a Sunday. It's packed. Okay. There are three lanes. And you know how it is. You pull up with your cart in the lane and then somebody gets behind you and you're like, well, I'm kind of committed to this lane now, but it really looks like the gal in, in register one is pretty fast. Now we're taking out the self-checkout stuff. Okay. So, so we're, we're pretending that they actually have three, three cashiers. So <laughs> lanes one, two, and three, right? Yeah. So the Colts are sitting in lane three. And it's the longest line for yeah. sure, right? Yep. And in lane two, and these are these are obviously I'm talking about the playoff lanes. You have lane one, which is the teams that you know Miami is in lane one. Okay, Kansas City is in lane one, and Jacksonville's in lane one. But Jacksonville's getting a little bit restless. And in lane two, at the front of the lane, you have the Houston Texans. They might move over to lane one, and if the Jaguars fall out of line, right? The Colts are in lane three, which is the teams that are sitting there looking at lane two which are the wild card teams okay and as they're as they're looking at the wild card teams they are seeing in lane two Cincinnati and Buffalo have been in lane two and the Colts are like gosh you know what if I if I can jump over to lane two I've got a faster way to get checked out here and get to where I need to go okay move on to the playoffs but Cincinnati so Buffalo keeps keep, Buffalo keeps pulling their cart out like they're going to go over to lane three. Like Buffalo doesn't know what lane it, it wants to get in. They're totally uncertain. Buffalo's got a screaming kid in the cart. He wants candy. They forgot diapers and aisle Correct. five. That's and exactly like, oh, right. Man, do I wait? Do I go back? Buffalo. Get Buffalo is like they've already pulled the whole one time of like, look, if I go get something real quick, can I keep my spot in line? So Buffalo feels very uncertain in that middle lane. Yeah. Cincinnati yesterday. Very possibly, Jimmy, Cincinnati just punted. Cincinnati's that guy that's like, you know what? I got something on the stove. I got to get out of here. And they just pulled out of line altogether. And now there's another opening for the Colts, if they so choose, to move over to that second lane and put themselves in that wild card lane. Cincinnati and Buffalo, in the last, literally in the last four days, that middle lane that is the wild card potential, that middle lane has already opened up not once potentially, but twice here for Indianapolis. The Colts are, and, and all of this happening, by the way, while the Colts are just sitting at home or on the beach or whatever on their bye week, it, last night could potentially have real serious, in a good way, payoff for Indianapolis, for the Colts, quite frankly. Especially when you look around the rest of the checkout lanes and you see, oh, the Steelers are over there. They're doing something. Oh, so it's Houston. Cincinnati's there too. So are the Raiders. Wait, wait a second. I have to meet up with these guys throughout the rest totally. of the way. Uh, of the final seven games, four of them. Yeah, I get to are play rock, paper, scissors with them for the out. lane here, Correct. right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's what the rest of the journey now is for the Colts. It, of course, you take what the NFL gives you, right? If Joe Burrow winds up missing extended time and you wind up playing him three weeks from now, you're not going to be upset about it. You're going you're gonna to welcome it. You're going to play what's on your schedule. And if that means you're a step closer to the playoffs, great. Even if he's out there, you're going to welcome the opportunity to try to jostle your way 
further in this playoff picture. But just like it happened a week ago with Kansas City and Miami, where all these teams that are maybe vying for the one seed kind of stubbed their toe and tripped last week, so too has it happened so far in the early goings of this week for the Colts, where Cincinnati now drops a game, and now you're looking around the rest of the playoff picture, and if it ended today, you would miss the playoffs by one spot. Houston is the team that's above you, and you still get to play them one more time. So, yeah, all of a sudden, and that's the beauty of bye week sometimes, if everything lines up, it turns out to be a win for you because your playoff picture is a little bit clearer. However, it still all comes down to how the Colts go. We've mapped it out a bit. Barring further chaos in the AFC, five and two is what you need over the next seven to get a playoff spot. Like the Raiders are in the same lane as the Colts, but they feel like they're tweaking, right? Like that's like the guy that doesn't – like he, he has no idea what he wants to do. Correct. So you're like, okay, I, I, don't, I feel pretty good that this guy's not going to take my spot. Cleveland – Cleveland was pretty solidly in that middle lane, and now all of a sudden Cleveland's grocery cart has the missing wheel where it's going, ay, 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 and like they can't control which lane it stays in. Might right? have taken out Cincinnati's cart for all we know. Yeah, no, point. you're right. <laughs> you know? By the way, Mark Monteith did clarify, and I appreciate not only Mark listening but clarifying for this. Um, Roger Brown played as a freshman at the University of Dayton. Now, back then, of course, basketball, you played for three years. You were not eligible for varsity as a freshman. So Roger Brown played freshman basketball for the University of Dayton freshman team, not the one that would have been playing like in the, you know, at the varsity level. After his freshman year is when the point shaving allegations arose. And so he only played the one year at Dayton. He then was invited for a tryout with the Pacers. But contrary to popular belief, Mark's research has shown him. Roger Brown was not actually the first player to sign with Indiana. He was the first player, though, Jimmy, to be offered a contract with Indiana, but he chose to sign it at the completion of the workouts. So technically speaking, he was the second to put his name to paper. That's why you don't trust the internet, kids. Well, that's it's it's kind of a minute detail. I know, but still. But, it's, it's framed that way on what website, and I appreciate Mark Monteith and the historical nature there. that's the beauty of Mark Monteith there. Yes. on Retainer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, literally, and, and you know, Mark's website, markmonteith.com, has some of them. You want to talk about a historian, in particular from a basketball standpoint, but just in terms of people and athletes that have come through Indiana, it's as good as anybody you're going to find in terms of audio, video, and notably uh, write-up clips about different people over the course of Indiana history. So, uh, Mark Monteith, active, uh, active pickleballer, thank you for – letting me know and setting the record basically officially straight. You know what I mean? Um, Other random payoffs that I want to get to in this segment because we wanted the time to dive into it, and, and we pretty much talked about it in nauseam yesterday. Uh, did you see the F1 development yesterday? <laughs> Had to cancel their first practice due to a Some loose drain covers, cover. Right? <laughs> Talk about potholes here. It's, it's, it's drain you know, covers there. Okay, let me, let me tell you what I think happened here. Sure. And I don't know this, but what I think happened. Uh, yesterday, I think it was Greg called in. It was either Greg or Gary. I can't re- recall his name. But talking about the first IndyCar race in Baltimore. And, you know, I remember vividly that first IndyCar weekend in Baltimore, there was a long delay, long delay, because there were railroad tracks that the cars were to go over, and, and it was a more a pronounced bump than they anticipated. And so they had to basically go and pave over the railroad tracks. And I mean, it was a lot, it, it wiped out almost an entire day of practice. I remember at Belle Isle one year for IndyCar, 
James Hinchcliffe, I think, is the one that went over an area where he looked and he's like, look, the pavement's coming up. And they had like basically a pothole that was increasing with every lap in size to the point where they then had to go out and put in emergency filler. The the F1 thing so far, it does start to feel more and more like this might be, you know, kind of a all kinds of disasters, probably the wrong word, but with the amount of money that was yeah. put into it. Um, there are obviously some issues. But in this case, I will actually grant them a pass, and I'll tell you why. I would assume that they obviously, when they were building and developing that track, and when you – Jimmy, I didn't know this. I'm embarrassed to admit this. When I joined the IndyCar Radio Network in 2007, I mean, I guess I knew this. I didn't cognitively, like, you know, make note of it. The difference between a street course and a road course. I, I, I guess I knew this, but for those that are unaware, a road course is a permanent fixture that is designed for automobile racing, whether it be motorcycles, cars, whatever, go-karts, but it is a permanent fixture that sits year-round that is built and designed with the intent of being specifically a racing venue. A street course is a course that is designed utilizing city streets that are otherwise used by passenger cars the rest of the year. Las Vegas is a street course design. So when they did that, they clearly, and, and the two things that come into play with a street course that you don't think about, number one, all city streets are naturally crowned so that water runs off of them, so that water doesn't become standing water over the course of a street. It, it, they're very subtle crowning, but when you are like 10 inches off the ground in a car going 200 miles an hour, you can feel the crowning when you move from the left lane to the right lane, okay? Not at Kroger. <laughs> and so with something that happened yesterday, I think that oftentimes, and I'm assuming this is the case, the speed of those cars going over and the downforce that is in those cars to keep them stuck to the ground – the speed of those cars as it goes over, and I'm not a physicist, but the natural pull of gravity essentially from the speed and the downforce of the car as it goes over starts to gradually elevate and loosen a manhole cover to the point where that's what happened. Sure. And and my assumption is, you know, you can't exactly test something like that because it's not like you can just say on a Thursday in October, hey, we're, we're actually going to be running Formula One cars out here, so everybody, like, we're going to close the road for 20 minutes while we test this and go over it at 220 miles an hour for an hour straight. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that um, and what comes of it. But it's a fascinating storyline for sure. I mean, they're going to have to get it fixed, obviously. And I'm, I mean, I'm assuming they, they will. But for those that are looking at the Las Vegas situation as something that seems to be a not totally prepared fiasco, it, it does make it kind of fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, now I'm looking for those headlines on a nightly basis, see where things are at out there. So uh, we'll see what comes of that. Uh, we'll come back, take a couple phone calls. Then again, Eric Edholm will find out his latest in terms of the power rankings in the NFL Network and how maybe last night affected that. Two-minute drill coming up. Kevin Bowen as well. Friday edition, Querying Company on the fan. I cannot hear Tone Loke without thinking now it's Mike Woodson. Uh, by the way, hey, Jake, all of the manhole covers were welded. The actual concrete at the water valve insert failed with the entire insert being lifted by the downforce, which I was talking about. Uh, all of them were covered with a layer of set 40 epoxy as a precaution. Okay. 
I'm just going to assume that's all 100% factual from somebody that's like standing on the strip because that's like really detailed, which I appreciate. I mean that in a good way, not a bad way. Not in a bad way at all. <laughs> um, we have been talking about a number of different things on this Friday on Query and Company. Thanks for joining us, including last night, the situation with the Cincinnati Bengals and how that might impact the Colts. Joining us on the program now, Kansas City Steve, who shares that Chiefs brethren with Jimmy Cook. And Steve, you got a question about the Bengals, right? Well, I kind of, sort of. <laughs> Jimmy, these the teams have tried and tried. They just keep falling off. We at Chiefs Kingdom just keep rocking on, don't we, brother? Hey, we, we, we keep rolling on, Steve, but but but, but I like you. I, I, I don't like seeing star players go down, but you're right. We, we do keep rocking oh, yeah. on. <laughs> By the Wait, way, what, Steve... What? Oh, go ahead. You got, I need your help. I'm okay. really bumming on this thing. Okay. I'm just sick of my taxes going for all these amateur sports and stadiums and stuff like that. It's just driving me nuts. Listen, Steve, you you called the right place. And by the way, how's Milton doing? He is doing great, Jake. Thanks for asking. That is Milton, the greatest the greatest little rescue dog in the history of dogs, man. Milton is abs- not not named Joey Walsh, I guess I should say, or Kobe Walsh. Uh, but <laughs> here's the thing. Milton, Kobe, and and Joey, they're, they're cousins, right, Steve? They're all cousins with one another, right? Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, here, here's the deal. You called the right place um, because of the fact that I am – and, and – Steve, like, literally opened up, like, the the biggest wound of all for me here, right? The sore spot. I am, and I know that people say to me all the time, like, Jake, you make your living in sports. If it weren't for sports, you wouldn't have a job. I get it. We're lucky to do what we do. It's a great sports city. Um, I think everybody knows, and my, my huge concern, for example, with this Indy 11 thing is it has yet to be determined or announced exactly how many public dollars are going to go into it. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Lucas Oil Stadium is a fine facility. It brought a Super Bowl here, which was a lot of fun. The city lost a million bucks on the Super Bowl, but that's cool. It's a fabulous building. But when when it was built, we as the taxpayers were all told, listen, this is going to be the most highly publicly subsidized building in the history of American sports, which it was at the time, $720 million. But don't worry, it's a one-size-fits-all, never-again-spend because it is going to be a multi-purpose venue. And every time anything was mentioned about the Colts, it was it's a multi-purpose venue. And when the Colts were asked to redo the lease on it because the city realized that they were uh, upside down a little bit, the Colts said, well, we're just a tenant. And they said, well, that's true because it's a multi-purpose venue. So as a result of that, when other teams in the area want a facility, even if it's too big or too cumbersome or not comfortable enough for them, the problem is – we were told it's a multi-purpose venue and it was a one-size-fits-all. So when I become mayor, after we throw all of the scooters into the canal and then throw all of the pedal bars into the White River, we will then officially declare that no tax dollars in any way, shape, or form will ever again be used for sports facilities in Indianapolis. Because while I love this town and while this town is absolutely built on sports and I understand that, the reality is is that we have run the well dry because we have given so much money in terms of public subsidy to sports franchises. And at this point, enough is enough. And so therefore, just like this segment, all of that has to come to an end. You know, there's a popular video clip of Paul Rudd eating hot wings on, I believe, the show Hot Wings. And he famously says, look at us. Who would have thought? 
Not me. Eric Edholm is our guest on NFL.com. Always has his power rankings on a weekly basis. And considering where our conversation started a couple months ago, where we were joking about if Eric had the Colts too high or too low, uh, now all of a sudden the Colts find themselves in the thick of the playoff race. Eric, who would have thought? Would you? I thought you guys were going to bring me on to a course of booze. You know, that's what I expected <laughs> anyway. It's been impressive. It's been it's it's been so many teams this season that have gotten to a point where we say, not how have they done it necessarily, but look at what they've done, right? Like, look at us, right? Your Paul Rudd quote there. I mean, it really is pretty tremendous to see teams – like the Colts really kind of from the start of the season or close to it. Uh, Denver after a horrible start, you know, Minnesota after losing Cousins, what have you. I mean, you can go on and name a few more as well. And it's just been an unexpected season in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, Shane Steichen, what he's done so far this season, all the, the, the curveballs from Taylor to the quarterback thing and everything in between deserves some coach of the year merit for sure. Or he has some coach of the year merit and deserves some, some attention for it. Eric, we all knew at some point growing up, high school, college, young adulthood, like all of us had somebody that we dated at some point that like, I mean, they're really good looking. They pass, you know, from the outside, it's like, man, they're smart. They got a great job. Yeah. And then people are like, why didn't it work out? It's like, you know, they, they, they're just, they were kind of fickle. Like I, I didn't know from one week to the next what I was really kind of getting. Uh, that team is who? That's a great question. I, I don't know that you can say the Bengals because I mean they're they're probably low hanging fruit just because of the, the the Burrow injury now. Maybe they they were a candidate before. I'd have to think about. I mean, every week I kind of have a battle of like what to do with Cleveland. Obviously, with Watson out now, that makes you know. And we didn't really know whether he was going to play some weeks. And uh, the defense is tremendous. Uh, they've had a couple games where it's been less than tremendous for sure. Um, replacing Chubb, it's been a, they've been a hard team to slot. It's maybe a little easier now that the Bengals are five and five, and and Burrow might miss a, a spell here. So, but yeah, the Browns have been a, a tricky team to, to kind of rank. Uh, they've had a couple of hiccups and a couple of really unexpected performances. You know, certainly Houston belongs in that conversation too. You know, the the loss of the the, the Panthers, but they've been kind of hot otherwise lately. So. I think you could you could say that that fits with a lot of teams. Seattle, you know, it's 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 a, a wide lot this year. So Eric Edholm, my question for you is this: Then to follow up on that from the NFL Network, by the way, the power rankings you can read them or um, or NFL dot com, right, where you can read the the power yeah. rankings. Um, Either one. My yep. apologies. Yeah. So give me the team that, and it's kind of weird to say because you got to play the games. I get it. But give me the team that, like, you kind of keep feeling like the day is going to come where you've got to lower them. But based on schedule and maybe even external things that aren't even to their own credit, they're a little bit of window dressing because you look at them and they look pretty good, but you still feel like reality is going to kick in. That is who? I was leaning towards Pittsburgh until you say you look at them and they look pretty good because (laughs) I don't know that anybody says the Steelers look pretty good. I mean, the record's great, right? I mean, they're – they're they're in a good spot they can still challenge the Ravens to have a win head-to-head over Baltimore I mean so they have some things going in their direction but when you've been outscored on the season you know you have a six and three record but you've been outscored by whatever it is 30 something points right now you've been outgained in every single game you've averaged losing about 1.3 defensive starters the last 
three, four games. You know, it just it, it's hard to believe they are where they are. And some things have kind of worked out in their favor. Um, you know, the, the blowout loss to Houston doesn't look so bad now. And um, they were kind of fortunate, really, that the Ravens didn't do anything after going up 10 nothing. And, you know, the, the Cleveland game, what have you. I mean, there have been a lot of instances where you say, okay, that kind of worked out for him, right? And Kenny Pickett obviously has been in the crosshairs locally in Pittsburgh, and his numbers are near the bottom of the NFL's passing uh, figures. So, yeah, they're, they're one whose defense, you could argue, in each of the six wins, certainly in five of them, the Rams game, the offense did kind of put it away late, but five of their six wins have required a like a big defensive stand or more, two or plus in some games, in the last five minutes of the game. I mean, is that a sustainable thing? I would guess no, but, man, if you have that kind of clutch gene and situational football awareness and, you know, sort of a keen instinct for the moment and you have a great coach in Tomlin, maybe you can pull it off. I don't know. Eric Edholm of NFL.com joins us. I know Jake just mentioned the Steelers, but when you look at those last three playoff spots, the wild card spots of the Steelers, the Browns, and the Texans – effectively eight weeks left seven games for most teams for most teams left the rest of the way of the Steelers Browns and Texans how many of them actually wind up making the playoffs and how many of those spots actually wind up being up for grabs yeah I mean usually in recent years when the Steelers have you know have not been a dominant team or whatever we've seen them kind of start slowly and finish strong it's almost like Tomlin's hallmark right in this case they already have the strong start record wise anyway I mean they're in pretty good shape I'm not saying they're going to just coast through the rest of the schedule and, and just float on into the playoffs without any resistance but just by virtue of their record they're they're in pretty good spot and you know Houston's remaining schedule I mean I know they got the Colts they've got the Browns and I believe they have the Jaguars left and outside of that they have four arguably five winnable games so they're in pretty good position, even though they still have to clearly win some games and, and you know, keep padding that total, and, and you can't afford another Carolina game. So I would pick those two. I mean, I don't want to give up on the Browns. I've already done it twice this season and look kind of silly for doing it, or at least sort of suggested that this thing can't, can't sustain itself. But, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier, maybe there just is some magic. Maybe that defense is great enough to overcome – a pretty big loss in, in Deshaun Watson, even though we've all, you know, obviously kind of questioned how good he really is at this point. Eric, we are in Indianapolis, so I will use like a racing analogy for the NFL season, okay? Sure. The season has exited turn two. It's it's moving quickly, quickly up the backstretch. Yeah. And, and, you know, past the halfway point, we're past the turn two suites here. So is there a point in the season where – the style changes and where teams in other words if teams only have like one way of playing do, does in fact the stylistically or schematically when you get into the home stretch the turn four of the the regular season is there a particular style of play that your team better be able to do in order to win or do you just stick with what is working to this point and that is able to carry a team all the way through yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'd probably have to do a little bit more 
you know, work in recent seasons to see, hey, like, wh- who are the teams that, that got off to hot starts in seasons and had a distinct offensive style or defensive style, and it just didn't hold up over the course of the season. Off the top of my head, I can't immediately think of one, but the Miami Dolphins would probably be a a relatively good example of that, I think, in the sense that they came out like gangbusters early in the season. Everybody, you know, through four weeks, we were talking about, hey, is this the greatest offense ever? That's obviously died for good reason, right? We know that a couple injuries have kind of set them back, but they're getting back to full health. And I kind of wonder if they can revive that run game a little bit. If that's if, you know, if, if Devin Achan a- comes back and they have uh, – uh, a full house, I would say, in the backfield there. Uh, Mostert's done a good job, but having both of them is a big deal, I think. And they keep two healthy, and they keep those guys healthy. I mean, they they could kind of revive the style that set the league on its on its ear a little bit, you know, and had everybody kind of questioning things about how good they really were. Are they a Super Bowl caliber team? Remember last year? I mean, they started out pretty pretty well, and everybody was sort of getting on board, and then the two injury happen. And so, you know, they might be one who have the style that they could revive to the point where it's hard to cover all those guys and all that speed all at once. But I know that doesn't fully answer your question, but they were the one that kind of stuck out in my head as you were asking it. How big of a loss, Eric, at home is Mark Andrews if it is officially confirmed? I think it was, but I just want to make sure I'm not – you know, putting the nail in right. before it's finalized. How big of a loss is it if Mark Andrews of the Ravens is out for the year? I don't know if it's been announced, but it's not. He's not playing. I think is is most likely the the result of this. So yeah, I mean, it's it's so tough because he, you know, Zay Flowers has been great, but I would argue Andrews has arguably been their most important guy in terms of. Every week, you know, you're going to get your five catches for 65 yards or whatever it is. And, you know, that that clutch third down conversion in the fourth quarter and that goal line catch and, and everything else. I mean, he was just he kind of was the glue of that group, the, the you know, the, the old reliable a little bit. And, you know, Flowers has been terrific. He's had a couple slow, you know, quiet games, but otherwise been great. You know, Bateman's been uh, hot and cold. He had the touchdown last night. Aguilar started hot. But before the touchdown last night had been missing for a few weeks, uh, Beckham, again, prior to his breakout game, uh, he looked terrific last night. He looked fast. It was old Odell Beckham speed, I thought. Uh, You know, he'd been averaging about 40 yards a game or something. So if last night is an indication, they have some some guys to throw to. Isaiah Likely is a pretty good weapon as well with with Andrews out. But I don't know. I, I... pictured him in the rotation and a big part of this team when I said they, they could go to a Super Bowl this year. Eric Edholm is our guest, NFL.com, where you can see his power rankings. Eric, let's go back to the, the, the conversation about the Burrow situation in Cincinnati and then, as you'd mentioned, Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. My thought process would be that it is possible, and I don't know which it would be, but maybe one of those two teams does have a good enough – you know, Cleveland's got a little bit of a, a few-game cushion there over Cincinnati – and their yeah. defense is elite. Maybe one of the two of those can kind of sustain without that guy at quarterback for them, but I don't think both can. Would you agree with that? I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, ironically, I don't know, ironically, but I would say 
Last night made me think that they might be able to run 80% of the Bengals' offense with, uh, with, with uh, Browning at quarterback. I don't, I mean, it's not going to be the same as Burrow. I don't want to make it seem like that. But, you know, he didn't look out of place, I, I didn't think. He was 8 of 14, you know, high, not a high yardage total. A couple balls, a couple unlucky drops. You know, the Trent Irwin one on third down, that was a dot. I mean, that looked great. And he scrambled a little bit. But like you said, they're they're five and five. They've got more room to make up now. So margin of error shrunk, probably in a worse position. I don't think we should grade uh, DTR based on his first career start. You know, the Ravens kind of took care of business, cleaned him up, didn't really leave him much room to breathe. I think he'll be better equipped. He's a talented kid. I've watched a lot of him in college. And You're talking about the, the UCLA rookie for Cleveland at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, he's Thompson Robinson. I use – I, he's he's interesting, and I think that first start may have put people in a mindset that he can't win. I of the two, I, I the two teams, the Browns, just by virtue of their record and, and the, that supporting cast, I would say. But yeah, give give him a chance uh, as he takes over now for Watson and PJ Walker gets the, the number two spot. I'll tell you a team that you've got ranked highly, and I think you've had them ranked high for the majority of the season. And we hear nothing about, at least in Indianapolis, there's zero conversation about them. They seemingly, and maybe they love it this way. Maybe they love the fact that here they are and they're like, look, you know, we're, we're ranked in the top 10, top five for on NFL.com and nobody's talking about us and we're fine with that. The fighting Dr. Motman's the Detroit Lions. Are they going to be yeah. able to, to, I mean, are they legit? Are they legit? Can they hang with a San Francisco late in the year if they stay healthy? That's the big question, right? I mean, I, and they're going to, you know, obviously they, at some point, I think they're going to probably have to go on the road unless they win. You know, I mean, they, they could still keep winning. And, and, you know, if the Eagles lose this weekend, you never know, right? They're still in the mix for the top seed. That's the craziest part. But you're right. I mean, after all the early season buzz and, and the Dan Campbell stuff and the excitement over what the Lions were doing, they get blown out in Baltimore and it's crickets ever since, right? So last week, maybe a little too close for comfort. Defense getting tested a little bit. But when you can score the way they, they can and you have the full house backfield now, I mean, Montgomery's back, Gibbs is back healthy, it really makes them tough to defend. If they, God forbid, can ever get Jamison Williams going, they'd add another deep threat to that group. I mean, it's, it's an exciting offense, and it's a defense with a lot of potential. We've seen them play really well, week one at Arrowhead, et cetera. I mean, you know, it's, it's about getting healthy on that side of the ball, and I think they can be a better team in, in the playoff setting. But – I mean, they're going. I'm, you know, they're going to have a home playoff game. It's going to be crazy, I think. And can they build off that? Are they just a kind of a one-win team this year, and then we'll see next year? Or do they have it this season? NFL.com's Eric Edholm is our guest. You can find his weekly power rankings right there. Of course, you can also follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Edholm. Eric, I'm not trying to get the booze back in your mentions, okay? I'm not trying to have the next time we talk to you over the next couple of weeks, it be a uh, a, a, a funeral-type vibe for you. But it's still a question that has to be asked. When you look at the Colts, let's say they do make the playoffs. Yeah. Is there anything tantalizing about them that would make you think, you know what, they could surprise on Super Wild Card Weekend? Well, you know, obviously two running backs who have had some some big games, not just this season, but in the past as well. I mean, that combination could be tough for for certain teams. So, um, you know, I mean, Gardner's a playmaker. He can make plays out of structure. I know that has, you know, kind of tapered off to a degree, and we've seen a little less of that that magic coming out. But 
they have those playmakers. They they have the ability to take the, the football away on defense. Obviously, giving up yards is, is is an issue one week to, you know, in certain matchups. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say that they just have some unbelievable superpower that, you know, everything else is kind of holding them back. But boy, watch out if they get the right matchup. No, I mean, I think they're relatively balanced in in, in some ways, but. You know, the run game would do so much in the right matchup, right? You could pound at a team, use them creatively, spell a guy, give Moss a turn, Taylor comes back in, et cetera. Really work that combination well and rest your defense theoretically. So could they beat Baltimore again? That would be the one factor. Could they beat Baltimore again if they had to go there? It would be tough. It would. But obviously, you know, we talked about Andrews and you know, I mean, you, if they can get a little luck like they did in that game where the ball kind of seemed to, you know, three fumbles didn't end up in the Ravens' hands. I mean, that's the kind of thing you you might need a little bit of that. But, yeah, I mean, it's a team they've already beaten once. They, they know the environment. I mean, it's probably going to be a lower-scoring type of game, I think, in that type of atmosphere. But you never say never. Eric, every year in the NCAA tournament, offices do a tournament pool. Everybody does it, right? Uh, unless you're Rick Neuheisel. And then, so, <laughs> invariably, the pool is won. You know, you ask somebody, like, who won the tournament pool? And they're like, huh. You never get it. was somebody in accounting that doesn't even follow basketball. They just went by the mascots <laughs> of who would win a fight, right? If, yeah. if the NFL yeah. did it that way, I was trying to think of this. If the NFL did it that way, what franchise w- wins the whole thing? If all of the mascots were just in a big fight, who wins? Yeah. Would it be Giants? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, by, by sheer mass. They're, they get kind of moved to the front, right? I mean, I would think it, I guess. there's there's an here's the thing though. There's this weird room with like the Buccaneers, the Vikings, the Raiders. And those guys all have guns and they're angry, right? Yeah. I tend to lean towards technology and magic. So like the Jets are going to have an obvious advantage, right? The ability of flight, probably some kind of Fair. armed weapon on board. You know, you can traverse large you know, ground and, and come in from whatever angle you want. Hard so to catch them, for sure, right? Hard to catch, yeah. right? They, they've got that radar lock stuff. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's probably – That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know that – you know, it's less college basketball. Well, how big a giant are we talking, though? Are we talking Rick Smith or are we talking the fellow from the Green Bean people? You know what I mean? That, that's the question, yeah. right? Like, how big are these <laughs> right. giants you speak of? Yeah, I mean, are they truly gigantic or are we – you know, this is a little bit of hyperbole here. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd want to see a mock-up before I – and look, I, I've seen a Jaguar, and my parents live in Florida. I've actually seen a live Jaguar before. I don't know that I really want to mess with one of those. I mean, well, then the you got to throw Panthers in the same category, right? I mean, sure, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm I favor that. Yeah, it's harder with college basketball where you get it some is. screaming Eagles and Blue Devils and whatnot. I mean, that just throws it in a. Yeah, and then a Jayhawk ends up winning the whole thing, and you're like, really? It's a fictional bird. <laughs> No wonder why you can't kill it. That hurts a little. That that stings a little, but that's I, I get it. I get it. Eric, these are the kind of things that hopefully give you an insomnia <laughs> over the weekend, right? <laughs> I have no doubt it's going to be the case. Eric, I appreciate the time as always. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Have a good weekend, man. All right. Enjoy your Friday. See you guys. Jimmy, what do you think? You, you stayed silent on that until whole conversation. Who would be the first out? The Cardinals? Well, two things with that. First, uh, mutual friend and of course the fans very own mark dykton producer of the wake up call with kb and andy sent me a text that's made me chuckle and i kind of paused from the discussion there chargers just 
electrocute everybody it's over right like that's i don't i don't know what we're good doing point. Here. like good point uh, b- perhaps there are the, the divine intervention and but powers the for the saints you, like you gotta, okay did the raiders like the raiders okay I, well maybe not the raiders but i'm trying to think if there's somebody that has um there's no knights so they don't have any sort of protective gear to, to prohibit the electric charge correct. right but i mean that, that's a fair point the Chargers actually kind of work hand in hand to an extent with the Jets, even though they're not electric. I think right? I think I think Patriots are first out, and here's why: if you've seen the uh, whatever the Pawtucket Pat like type of, I, I know they have that they, they have that uh, pretty formidable on January sixth. Well, <laughs> I mean, you get enough of them, they can tear a building down. I right? It's either it's either them or maybe you're saying like, depending on how many Seahawks or how many Falcons you're dealing with. Maybe the Vikings just take them out in one fail swoop, right? Like I, I, I think anything that has a weapon, you got to worry about, right? But then, okay, here's the thing: like Vikings and and Raiders, who wins? They're kind of the same deal, right? I mean, that's like the Spider-Man gift. Bronco goes down first. I think the Cardinal go down, goes down first, right? Mm. What's he gonna do? Peck? Is it just you? one, or is it a whole like? How many? How many? It's cardinals. It's plural. How, how many we well, have here? I mean, have you ever woken up in the in the springtime and looked out your backyard and started to run hey, for man, your there's, life? There's a reason that Birds was a horror movie. What about, I mean, what about just, the Browns? What are the Browns? The little elf fella? He's. I mean, he's. <laughs> not, much the doing, elf? not much is doing. Yeah, Brownie the elf didn't do anything to you, right? Unless there's some like mythological powers that the elf has. I mean, I, yeah. I, I hate to say this, but a dolphin. I mean, I love them, but like, uh, uh, do, what are they going to do? I mean, they got that 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 snout that spears sharks. I guess that's cool. Saints is tough. Saints is tough, right? Well, but that was my argument, though. What if there is some like biblical divine intervention, like yeah, I mean the Saints power got, of the Lord with the Saints. The Saints like, got yeah. a lot going on for them, right? Not to mention, and and well, I guess you can be a living saint, obviously, right? Sure. No, no, I think you got to be passed to be. Was not Mother Teresa a saint? She was passed, though. Yeah, you got to be passed to be a saint. Okay, so so how do you kill something that's already passed? <laughs> you know what I mean? There you go. I mean, so the Saints probably are you, and they're, I mean, I don't know. I still think Cardinals are the first out, right? Probably. I mean, who's afraid of a Cardinal? <laughs> I don't, well, like, what what, 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 what I, sanctuaries are you hanging out in? <laughs> How much acid were you doing before you were walking through Garfield Park? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just highlighting the birds. That's all okay. I'm saying, okay? You know what? Why don't we take a reprieve from all of it and do a two-minute drill next? Does that yes, sound good to you? let's do it. All right, we'll do that. Two-minute drill next. Kevin Bowen, 2 o'clock. Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Rolling along on a Friday weekend upon us. Not necessarily the most glamorous of weather weekends, but Jimmy, I decided since it's a little bit rainy outside, maybe we need to take a trip. Maybe we need to hit several different spots and just go ahead. Did you get like a little snack or anything like that? I did. I got some right. combos I ready I need to you roll. to put your tray in the upright position if you could, because we're about to take off on the two-minute drill. Spanning the globe. It's the two-minute drill. All right, first stop, let's get right to it. 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. Jonathan Peterlin joins us. Jonathan, big story. Deshaun Watson now out. Can that defense sustain for the Browns and keep them in the hunt till the end of the season? That's a big question. I think they can. It depends what we're talking about, though, right? Like, I think that's where Browns fans are. We've now moved the goalpost. We were talking 
24 hours prior to the injury, I was taking phone calls on my night show about how uh, we're Super Bowl contenders. We had we had a legit 24-hour conversation about are we Super Bowl contenders with obviously we're Northeast Ohio. 99% of the fan base is going to say yes, we are after a just one of the biggest wins we've ever seen the Browns pull off and then just to have the rug pulled out from underneath you the way that it was, it was devastating. So I think it's about moving what the expectations are. Do I think we're Super Bowl contenders? No. Do I think we're playoff? Like we're going to get in the playoffs? Yeah, probably. Jonathan, is it too early in the life of that contract if you were to give true serum to Brown's ownership that maybe there's regret with the guaranteed money? They'd never admit it, but yeah, if you you wanted to give them truth serum, I think they would because it's done a couple things. It hasn't just, it's not just about the $230 It's what it's done in, hey, uh, any team want to help us out with a backup quarterback or do us any favors? And everyone's door is closed uh, because the the Browns and really the, the front office and the ownership it really made a lot of owners across the league mad with that guaranteed money. They're, they're not friends to the other teams in the NFL. And so I think it worked in a multitude of ways that they'd probably regret right now. Shores of Lake Erie, Cleveland, 92.3 The Fan. Jonathan Peterlin, appreciate it. Thank you. Sunshine State, J. Michael Orlando Sentinel. Magic next on the schedule for the Pacers. J. Michael, so far, decent start for the Magic, but what's Indiana going to see on Sunday? I mean, they're going to see a team that it doesn't have, likely won't have Wendell Carter, who's really key to what they do defensively and even offensively because they can go five out with him. But now you're going to see potentially or more than likely uh, Goga Pataze, who Indiana knows quite well. Um, they're a little bit more limited, not having Wendell Carter, who can spread to the three-point line, but you'll see a team that plays very aggressive defensively, especially Jalen Suggs. He's a ball hawk. I cannot wait to see how Jalen Suggs matches up with some of the really elite guard play that I've seen from the Pacers this year. But the one thing that the Magic do well, when they, if they're playing well defensively, that means they're usually playing well in transition, and they can score with you. The problem with the Magic is when they get into the half court, especially with them missing a couple of key pieces, as I mentioned, uh, with the Carter being key among them. Jay Michael, I don't like to pigeonhole franchises, but when you look at the Magic in terms of my life existence on this planet, it's always stars that are drafted high that either wind up not panning out or wind up going somewhere else. Why is it different this time with Paolo Bancaro? Uh, I think it's different because, A, Bancaro is everything that they imagine him being. If you look at when the Magic haven't played, when they haven't won this year, maybe they're really uh, they struggle in the second half. It's usually because defenses load up so heavily and they get everything towards stopping Paolo Bancaro. He's still going to get you 20 points in a game uh, regardless of how much you load up against him. But he changes the way teams defend the Magic. And if you can slow down Paolo Bancaro by loading to him, the problem that the Magic has is they don't have other shooters necessarily around him who can hit open shots consistently. But Bancaro, I think, is everything that they thought he was going to be. I think he's probably a year away, though, from being that all-star level guy, but he is pretty close. He's not a tweener. Remember when it took Oladipo years ago, 2013? You know, Oladipo, they tried to make a point guard, and then he wasn't a point guard. Then you saw them take all these other draft picks that never quite panned out. They got a lot of tweeners. They didn't really have a direction. They have a direction now with Jeff Welton as president, and I think Coach Jamal Mosley, I think a lot of people are going to realize eventually, severely underrated coach. He does a lot of things well, and he adjusts a lot on the fly, and I think him working with Boncaro just works for the Magic, and I think he's going to maximize in the system that they currently run. Magic Pacers game going to be on Sunday. J. Michael, Orlando Sentinel by way of the Indianapolis Star. Enjoy the weekend. All right, guys. 
All right, let's go down the road. Cincinnati, NBC5, Cincinnati. Charlie Clifford joins us. Charlie, big news last night. Joe Burrow, what is the mood with the Bengals, and what's the prognosis right now as to where things stand? Jake, the team's calling it a sprained right wrist. As everyone saw on Thursday Night Football, Burrow could not even grip a ball. So this now puts the season on the brink in Cincinnati, 5-5 five and five in the toughest division in football with Pittsburgh coming in next week. We're going to hear from Zach Taylor this afternoon, of course. Now there are questions of was there a pre-existing injury that went unreported? The NFL's opening investigation after photos surfaced upon arrival in Baltimore had a kickoff of Burrow potentially wearing some sort of wrist guard on his throwing hand. That it's a step too early to say there's anything there definitively yet, but it's certainly the worst day of the regular season at the moment in Cincinnati on Friday. Charlie, where do things change depending on what the MRI reveals in terms of where this team is? There's still a lot of championship components, but very small sample size. You saw how that offense struggled without their leader. Where do things go hinging on this MRI? Burrow can't play. It's Jake Browning who got his first NFL experience last night, and that means trouble for Cincinnati because they've had issues all year on both sides of the ball. They haven't played up to their standard, and without Burrow, that essentially will take them out of contention here, barring a miracle. Now, you know Burrow will do anything he can to get back. He's lives by that warrior mentality and he already fought through a calf issue coming out of training camp so until they have answers burrow will be racing back as soon as he can without question by way of indianapolis charlie clifford nbc5 cincinnati thanks man thanks guys Stephen St. John, 810 Sports Radio in Kansas City. All right, Stephen, there is the possibility. Kansas is already scheduled to play Indiana. They could see Purdue in the Maui Invitational. No, of course, Jalen Wilson, no Grady Dick. How is Bill Self's team different or the same than a year ago? Well, uh, it begins and ends with Hunter Dickinson. He was the crown jewel of the transfer portal. Uh, he had a great game the other night against Kentucky. Uh, and, and you can see he's uh, one of the best big men, one of the most polished big men in the nation. Uh, you know, Kansas is always going to have great guard play, but now they've got this big man in the middle that uh, looks like he's going to be a, you know, a, a first-team All-American. And so give Bill Self, a guy like Hunter Dickinson, who transferred from uh, Michigan, uh, is, uh, like I said, the, uh, the top target that anyone had in the transfer portal. And and Kansas is immediately a national championship, or at least a, a Final Four favorite. Switching gears towards the Chiefs, Andy Reid kind of revealed this past week that with Kadarius Toney, who's coming off of offseason knee surgery, that they're easing him in, they're bringing him along slowly. In terms of where the rest of the schedule is, is Monday night an if-not-now-when game in terms of an increase of snap counts for Kadarius Toney? Man, that's a great question. I have no idea. Uh, nobody does, really. Going into the bye week in the last game that they had, uh, you saw the, the snap count increase into the 60% neighborhood for rookie Rasheed Rice. So that's going to continue to build because he's been the best playmaker of the wide receivers. Uh, you know, Also, Justin Watson and uh, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling were up there. Sky Moore lost a lot of snaps. Uh, McCall Hardman and uh, Kadarius Toney also not with very many snaps. 
snaps. And so they spent the bye week like they always do, self-scouting. I expect Rasheed Rice to continue uh, to have his role in the offense grow. As far as Kadarius Toney, uh, you know, yeah, there's there's some truth to that, that uh, they had the knee surgery uh, and the knee procedure that, that, that kept him out of uh, training camp. But he had a disastrous opening game against uh, Detroit where he basically single-handedly lost the game for the Chiefs, and he just not has lived up to the expectations that the Chiefs fans or the coaching staff have had. I do think that his role will increase. It has to. He only had seven snaps in the last game. But, you know, Rasheed Rice is the guy that stepped up, and that's the guy that needs to get the ball in his hands more because he's been the best playmaker, wide receiver. Uh, and McCall Harbin does a lot of the same things that Kadarius Tony does. So it'll be very interesting to see if they truly were just trying to get him healthy and protect him in the first half or other guys have just passed him up. That's going to be one of the big question marks that has to be answered for the Chiefs in the second half. Border Patrol is the show in the mornings in Kansas City, 810 Kansas City AM and Stephen St. John. Stephen, have a good weekend. Thank you, fellas. Buffalo, New York. Josh Reed joins us. WIVB, the CBS affiliate there. Josh, first question, and it's an easy one when talking about Buffalo. What in the world is going on with the Bills? Well, they, they're hoping Joe Brady has that answer. You know, they, they fire Ken Dorsey this week, coming off another terrible offensive performance. Um, they promote Joe Brady from uh, quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. They're looking for that spark. And, um, you know, so Ken Dorsey falls on the sword because this offense just has not been good all season. The defense obviously takes a step back from last season, but a big reason is because of the injuries. Quite frankly, I think Sean McDermott's done a pretty good job kind of meal-piecing the whole thing together and getting the defense at least in a position where they're not losing them the game. That, quite frankly, has been Josh Allen in the offense. Has Josh Allen lost his teammates at all? I don't think he's lost his teammates. He seems he's lost his confidence. Um, You know, you just talk to him after the games, talk to him after practice. He just doesn't seem to have that gunslinger mentality that he's had in the past. Now, this doesn't mean that's not what he's doing on the field because he's absolutely doing that on the field. That's why he leads the league in interceptions. But he just doesn't seem to have that, just that rage in his eyes that we've seen in the past where he believes he is the best player on the field at all times. Once again, I don't think he's lost his teammates. I don't think he's lost his locker room. I just think he's lost his confidence And we've seen it before with the elite. If they get it back, it can turn around in a hurry. The elusive NHL question for the Indianapolis market. The Sabres have the longest drought in the NHL without a postseason appearance. 12 straight years, 16 straight since they've won a series. Is this the year it comes to an end? Oh, man. If you had asked me that less than a week ago, a couple of days ago, I would have said yes. Tage Thompson goes down with a big injury, and he is one of the elite stars in the NHL. Um, upper body injury, it, it doesn't look good for him. And, you know, when you, when you lose a superstar like that, you know, that's a, that's a big injury. Um, we'll see if they can get Don Granato can kind of – and to keep this thing together and keep it afloat until he gets back. Josh Reed, WIVB, CBS affiliate in Buffalo. Appreciate you rounding out our two-minute drill. 100%. Thanks for having me. Jimmy, I have a Buffalo Sabres hat. I don't know anything about the Buffalo Sabres. I just think it's kind of a cool franchise because they've sucked forever. And they've got a cool logo, so I have a Buffalo Sabres. I might have to wear my Sabres hat next week. I think you should. Here we go. This is the year. The streak ends. I thought it was interesting from Jay Michael in talking about Orlando when he mentioned Jalen Suggs. I had said to you yesterday, uh, 
when Jalen Suggs came out of Gonzaga, I really thought because he he. I'm not going to say he fell totally in the draft, but I thought he would go higher than he did. And I remember saying, like, there are teams that are going to regret not taking Jalen Suggs. And I'm curious, you know, does he – I thought it was interesting that J. Michael mentioned him because is Jalen Suggs a guy that just – be? you know, is he just a guy? Or is he somebody that can step up and be and grow into being essentially the Robin to Palo Banquero's Batman? Look, I – I hate to do this to Orlando, I do, but they are a franchise where I need to see stability first before I'm going to believe it. So in a long way, or a short way of saying a long answer, I don't think Jalen Suggs' story is at all means completed. Just like I don't think a lot of the players on the Magic's roster is yet to be completed, but I would look at potentially what happened with Aaron Gordon, where Orlando is the place you wind up to start, you don't ever live up to what you were supposed to be and then what you always preach about Jake how hard it is when you've been the guy your whole life to then accept a new role and thrive in the NBA right that winds up happening with him in Denver so for a lot of those key guys in Orlando including Jalen Suggs I still see great promise for their careers I just don't know that I buy into the fact that in two years time Orlando is going to have this thing finally straightened out where Ben Caro's their lead Suggs is their two and they're a real threat in the east if you were doing the NBA with what we did with the NFL the magic would probably win the mascot battles right have to yeah I mean they just disappear correct how do you, you know what I mean correct I mean all of a sudden before you know it you're you're behind you know they put you in a box you disappear also they can right. they can do whatever they want to you Correct. uh this from brian by the way jake my name is brian i think the the battle of nfl mascots you have to consider the titans if i remember my greek mythology correctly they couldn't be killed by even the gods they were simply imprisoned i, I guess you'd imprison them then right yeah that's good though or have a bear dismember them or dismember <laughs> them hey be- listen if i'm not mistaken the, so now i love bears I think bears are awesome. Sure. I'd like a pet bear. The, the The problem is, isn't this correct? I think this is right. <laughs> I think this is right. You ready? Okay. I kid you not, I, somewhere I read this. It's probably not even remotely factually correct. All right, well, but for the sake of the radio, we're going to pretend it's correct. But I kid you not, I swear that I read this somewhere. Okay. And I don't know which kind of bear we're talking about, well, I, but I'm, I'm assuming like a grizzly bear. Somebody's going to text you in about two minutes to clarify whether I know. Or not this is true or not. So, I'm telling you. I'm telling you I believe this is correct. All right. You can you can adopt. Like you could birth, not, not literally you give birth right, to, right, but right. you could help deliver a bear cub, okay? A male bear cub, like a, like a – well, probably a female too, but a grizzly bear cub. And – you could feed you could bottle feed it every day you could play with it you could cuddle with it you could teach it to throw a beach ball with you teach you to ride a bike whatever okay and it, it it literally could absolutely love and adore you every day and then and i think i'm talking about from the male standpoint when it goes through the bare equivalent of puberty it it has a testosterone some like change where the natural instinct of the bear kicks in and it no longer even remembers that you were the person that reared it. And, like, you are in serious trouble. So, like, enjoy it for, like, two years. Yeah. And then after that, it's like, well, you know what? Somebody got the bear whiskey. And, like, what the hell just happened? Don't be a tiger king. Don't be a bear king. That's, That's what that you is correct. Yep. Do not be a bear king. You would have some serious problems.
Solid tweet here. Hey, Jake, is this bear story you just told from Carissa Thompson? No, I'm telling you, I, I really do remember somebody telling me that at one point. Maybe it was made up. Uh, I just heard the ad there for P.S. Dump Your Boyfriend, which was, uh, you know, local band's been around forever. It got me thinking before we get to Kevin Bowen here coming up top of the hour. Uh, Jimmy, when I was in college, I would say the three biggest bands of the of the era, like when you're first at the age, you know, there's that awkward era in college where you're like 19, 20, so you're, I mean, I know that, you know, we're going to take out IDs and that kind of thing. You're, you're not technically old enough to be in the bars yet, so you're going to whether it be like house parties or fraternity parties or whatever in, in you know, Bloomington, obviously, in, in in both cases here. But the bands that, that were big of that era for me were Situation Grey was big, The Chosen Few was huge, the Y store became towards the end of that was when they first hit the scene. So the Y store was massive. P.S. Dupert Boyfriend was big. And then um, I think it was Dave and Ray was the name of the, the band that were big back in the day, if you will. Uh, yours would be who? Are you talking about local bands? Yeah. Like when you were in college and it's like, oh, man, like, you know, so-and-so is playing at, at whatever bar, you know, the Bluebird or whatever it might be. Yeah, so Jake, this is again on the list of categorical things that I'm going to disappoint you on. Uh, was never a big band guy. We were going to the bars, we were going to drink, and before that, we were like going to a couple friends' houses and stuff. I was not actively seeking who was on the lineup at the Bluebird. That was not my. So, so, so I, were, I, couldn't okay. na- I couldn't name one for you. I have no clue. Couldn't so, you, you never walked on campus and overheard anybody talking about like a band that was going to be no. playing? No. There, there was never anybody that was like, oh man, like. There's a big party at such and such place, and this band's playing. No. The party part, sure, the, the, but there, the band part, no. Couldn't tell you. No clue. There were no local bands in Bloomington in the, what years were you there? There could have been, uh, 2013 to 2016. There could have been. I, I never took part. Okay. Carl, what about you? You went to school at UCSD, right? Yeah. Who was the big band back then? Stone Temple Pilots? Were they... Oh, it's going to be Nirvana, but then Kurt Cobain. But in of... terms of, well, was there any local band, like local? Because oh, Stone Temple Pilots is from San Diego, I think, right? Oh, but was, I mean, there, yeah, was there one? Sure. Like, for example, if you talk to kids that went to University of South Carolina in the early 90s, they're like, yeah, Hootie and the Blowfish was like a huge college band, and then they hit it big. Was there one that you saw in college that, like, hit it big? I can't that? say that I was going to any uh, concerts. Uh, I was working all the time and going to school, so call me a nerd. Did, did you guys wear blinders and earmuffs for, like, four years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have someone put on the aux cord, man. You're not having a live band at a party. You're just having a DJ set list from Spotify. I don't Understood. It's a generational thing. Did they not have live bands in bars? They probably did, but I wasn't usually focused on that. Fair enough. You're, you, were, you were watching Chiefs games at, like, <laughs> Buffaloes, right? Uh, Kevin Bowen's next. Two o'clock hour on a Friday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Joining us now on Query and Company, you of course hear him each and every morning along with Andy Sweeney for the wake-up call, Kevin Bowen, and of course with this Colts bye week, that normally would be the main topic of discussion. So Kevin, I'm going to throw you actually this curveball off the top. Uh, Did you watch Indiana and Wright State last night? And if so, your assessment of the Hoosiers? Yeah, I watched the second half. Um, I guess a slight improvement. Granted, the bar was pretty low. Um, I mean, I think offensively, Cleo Lair certainly has been the most consistent player for them all season long. Um, I think you got to be pleased with 
how he has looked, especially when you consider, I think at times it was like, all right, you know, is the motor, you know, always there? Is it super consistent? You know, you would hope if it's there for Florida Gulf Coast Army and the right state, it would be there as they get in kind of the meat of their schedule. Obviously can't guard really anybody. Um, give up 80 to a mid-major team without their best player. Yeah, that's not going to last and, and obviously won't have any staying power as the schedule gets tougher. So, um, I, I just don't see where massive improvements come, especially as the schedule now gets, what, six of their next seven, I think, against high major teams, five of their next seven, I believe, away from home. So, yeah, slight improvement, but honestly, I'd probably say that more to do with how low the bar was than like, oh, yeah, boom, that looks like a legit NCAA tournament team. Kevin, I want to make this clear. This is not my take, but I was texting a buddy who is a longtime IU fan, went to school there as well, and – I don't want to say like he's on the ledge in terms of how the season has started and how close these games have kind of been, but his takeaway was this, and I want to get your takes on, is this too far or do you kind of see that if they don't improve things? Does this have the potential to be the worst IU team, especially from an offensive standpoint that we've seen since 2013, 2014, when they went 7-15 and missed not only the NCAA tournament, but the NIT altogether? Oh, God. Just even that question's a bit jarring. I know. I know. Um, boy, one of those Archie teams had to be worse, right? I I, <laughs> I understand the question, um, but, yeah, I would think one of those – or I'm trying – I don't know, all the Archie years seem to run together, but, like, one of them um, got to be worse. I, I, I think what stands out is just I really feel like for – kind of the umpteenth year in a row, and this goes back to the Archie era, it's just not a program that's utilized the three-point line how you have to utilize it in today's college basketball. Um, you, it, it's, you know, every given night it seems like it's a 20, 30-point difference, and that's a just an astronomical number. And, you know, as great as Ware's been, and Malik Renew obviously has been very solid as well, you know, at some point that you're going to play more kind of size, you know, light teams that just aren't these major teams that are naturally – not going to have a bunch of height, and so their advantage down low, theoretically, I don't think will be there as much. That, honestly, probably starting on Sunday against UConn, but uh, I, I guess to answer your question, I would like to think not, but the fact that the question even gets asked, and I don't sit here and like totally say no, is a pretty sad endorsement of what we've seen through the first two weeks of the season. Kevin, what Colts player on the roster is most in need of this bye week? Well, it's got to be Minshew. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got to be Gardner. Yeah, I, I think Gardner needs all the uh, – Jake, I'm passing a Bucky sign right now on my way to Knoxville. Oh, wow. Nice. Now, have you been, yeah. Kevin? 27 miles. No. Should I lose my Bucky's V card here in a bit? Oh, absolutely. Well, who, you got the whole family with you? Well, no. I don't know if I would have dropped that line to the family. But, um, no, just a couple of buddies of mine. Oh, okay. Well, then you absolutely have to go in. No, honestly, like, I mean, have you never had – um, like pepperoncini flavored rattlesnake jerky. I've had the nuggets. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like you, you and I. I mean, hell, there's a moment there last year. We probably our diet only consisted of the <laughs> beaver nuggets there. So people brought in like literally gallons of Bucky nuggets. I mean, just alone. If you need, if anybody's got to use the bathroom, you got to go to Bucky's. Not to be graphic, but that's the reality. It's your private suite. No, it I is. Yeah. No, there were times where Matty would be like, you brought home another bag of Bucky's Nuggets? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. Uh -huh. Here I am. Um, I mean, 
Oh, man, Bucky just interrupted the phone call. Put him on pause real quick. We'll check back with him in just a second. Jimmy, you have or have not been to Bucky's? I have. We made yeah. that pilgrimage, if you will. My wife and her family wanted to go, so we made it this past August. You actually went and you drove? That's it. That was the sole purpose of the journey. Wow. That was, there's one in uh, Kentucky. I don't can't remember where exactly, but there's one about three hours from here. It had opened, I think, in the last six or eight months. We went. I uh, got our picture taken with Bucky. You're right. The restrooms are just basically your private oasis. Um, we had a barbecue brisket sandwich that was delightful. Brought back some Bucky nuggets. Uh, it was a good time. The one uh, gimmicky gift that was purchased, we bought for her sister. A Let me guess. Buc- Let me guess. Ahead, Bucky pajamas? No, but it's, it is an article of clothing. Bucky hat? Nope. Bucky sweatshirt? Nope. Okay, what was it? A Bucky swimsuit. Wow. Yeah. One piece or two piece? It was one piece. Okay. You know... Bucky, a beaver, by the way. Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, Kevin Bowen, uh, based on that, joins us again. Uh, Kevin, you, you said Gardner Minshew, and I, I think probably from just like a confidence standpoint or just kind of reset the table standpoint, that would be accurate. I, I would think that for a number of variables, Shaq Leonard would have to be in that conversation as well, would he not? Well, I just don't know how much better it's going to get, Jake. I, I'm a little resigned to this is what we're going to see. Frankly, I think – if you're Shane Steichen and you've gone about accountability in the way that he has this year, I I, I don't think a flat-out benching would be that far-fetched out of the question. Um, you know, it, it, At the very least, I think EJ Speed deserves to be playing more than he is, and I think that comes at the expense of Shaq. I just I, – I don't know. I, I think this is just who he is. Um, at this point, I don't think one week is going to be some savior or all of a sudden take some 180 – um, so, yeah, I'd go Minshew mentally, as you pointed out there. And then physically, I mean, Josh Downs would probably fall into a little bit of the Juju Brents category. Just, you know, can he get that you know, knee situation figured out to where he's such an important piece that yeah, I think you saw it in the New England game when he plays you know, only a dozen or so snaps. Your offense is going to be limited in some ways. But, oh, I, I'm a big believer in Minshew. Like, I mean, he needed – yeah, he needed – he needed to indulge in all the uh, bye week activities. I mean, I just – he looks gun-shy to me. He looks, um, you know, he's processed, I think, poorly. Um, just so panicky, so jittery in the pocket. It, it Honestly, a lot to do with, like, stuff that he usually, I feel like, has been pretty good at than, you know, any sort of injury situation or uh, maybe the limitations with his arm, which, which you know there are certainly some there. By the way, uh, so you're with a couple of buddies right now, right? Yes, correct. Uh-huh. And you're going where? Like, what's the weekend agenda here? I'm on very the jealous. Weekend? I'm very jealous. The first ever SEC football game. Oh, that's great. You going to Knoxville? This will be, yes, Tennessee hosting Georgia. Night or day game? 3.30 kickoff on CBS. Play the music. Let me tell you. (laughs) Let me tell you something, Kevin. That stadium alone, I mean, it's 105,000 or whatever it is. And unlike Michigan, Michigan 105,000, average age 105. Tennessee, uh, 105,000, average blood alcohol, 1.05. I, I, it's unbelievable. I'm not kidding you. Now, now, which of your buddies in the car, you're driving right now or you're a passenger? Uh, riding shotgun. Okay. So, which of your buddies, you're with how many guys? How, how many buddies? Uh, there's three of us total in the car. Okay. Two friends. Uh, Meeting a friend uh, who lives just north of Atlanta in Knoxville. Just out of curiosity, either of the two guys that are in the car, are they the ones that you're going to have to, like, you know, keep an eye on? Like, by about 3 o'clock, all of a sudden, the stuff starts getting rowdy? Or is that well, you? I would. Yeah, I'd like to think that 1.05, we would bring that level down a bit and not bring that <laughs> up um, that you just mentioned there. I, I, I'd like to think we all can, you know, 
enjoy the weekend, but do it in a very respectful manner and not let the SEC, you know, prove that it is bigger and better here. Hey, I'm telling you, man. It is, and you'll, you know what? You'll, you'll come out of there and you'll be kind of a Tennessee fan. You know what I mean? Like you'll, you'll, because you'll just have an appreciation for it after the fact. You're like, you know what? I get it now. Like I get, I, I get why it's cool, man. I, I'm th- yeah, between that and the Buckies, you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I am uh, very, very stoked to say the least. Now, how many SEC games for you? And your, you've had to have been to several stadiums, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been to probably five or six Alabama games. Uh, I've been to an Auburn game. I've been to, I got, I've been to Tennessee. Obviously, I think I've been to Kentucky once. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is there. I've not been to oh, Ole Miss. I've been to an Ole Miss game. Saw them play Auburn. LSU so. night game. No, that would be awesome. That's way up there, right? I mean, that, and that's. Yeah. You know, I think the thing the thing about an LSU night game that's so impressive is you kind of get the feeling that they could replay it on Sunday morning in Baton Rouge on television because forty percent the crowd doesn't remember it from the night before. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different animal, man. Whole different animal. Yeah, that's probably it's probably a universal SEC thing. Here's the other thing, uh, Kevin. Like, don't even honestly, and I'm not kidding you. You don't even have to like go and eat lunch tomorrow before the game because the one thing about the south i mean clemson's the same way they're not sec i realize but you literally can just walk up to tailgates and if you literally say hey i'm just with three buddies and we're just doing a bucket list sec trip people will literally be like oh my gosh here grab a plate grab a chair where are you staying i mean it's unbelievable the hospitality is unreal yeah i i am looking forward to you know cautiously optimistic on that and i didn't realize too here and you obviously have been on campus and been to games you know the stadium is rather near close to the river and so people do a little bit of a sailgate scene so literally you know boats uh near the stadium i don't know if we'll you know venture over to that area but this is not like a giant parking lot right next to neyland stadium like you know i don't know i'm envisioning like notre dame's tailgate scene or you know even i guess michigan you know you more have a golf course right there but uh not like as um i don't know everything surrounding neyland i mean neyland stadium is kind of right in the heart of campus it is yep um so can't wait cannot wait for tomorrow yeah i mean trust me you will definitely enjoy it um look back back to the colts kevin what area if you had to pick it and you and I talked plenty in the morning time about, you know, wide receivers. There are a lot of topics that we probably even wore out just because we were incredulous at times that they were not addressed. So let's give the Colts a little bit of credit here. I'll start it on this side of it. Through the first half, for lack of a better phrase, through the first half of the year now, give me the area where they have been, they have exceeded your expectation and you got to tip the cap and say, you know what, they're better there than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, I would say offensive line. Um, you know, if you would have told me they would have the amount of injuries that they did, you know, Braden Smith missed, what, four, maybe five games. Uh, you know, even Bernard Ryman was out for one or two. You know, Ryan Kelly's been a little bit banged up. To have the amount of injuries they did, um, I was stunned by just the lack of depth that Chris Bauer gave to that group in the offseason. They've handled it very, very well. Um, you could probably point to a little bit of a, hey, just the fact that you don't have statues at quarterback anymore like you did last year, no matter really who was under center. Uh, that probably has contributed to it. And, and I do think some play calling and some coaching in general can help that group. But, um, you know, that was something that they, I, I was surprised by that they, again, the lack of attention they gave uh, in the offseason. And I think it's been a group that's, I don't know if they're back to the elite elite level they were a couple of years ago, but certainly much better than the big liability they were last season. 
Um, so I'd probably go there, the one that kind of stands out the most to me, um, just based off how poor it was last season. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airwaves, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. KB, let's just say, and I know it's it's sad to say if this is the case because it's a, a loss of a key weapon and a face of the NFL, but let's say Joe Burrow is forced to miss extended time or the rest of the year that would take him off the board when the Colts meet them here in a couple weeks. When you look at teams in the wild card race the Colts still have to play the Bengals in this scenario without Joe Burrow the Steelers the Raiders and the Texans do you look at those teams and look at the Colts and say Indianapolis is equal to or better than those teams or do you feel like one or maybe a couple of them are on paper better than the Colts right now are you taking Burrow? You said off. The yeah, he's off the that, board. He's off the yeah, board again. So. Hypothetically speaking, um, he's off the board. Yeah, I, have, I think Pittsburgh's certainly better than you know Indy. Having given their quarterback play, I just I mean they've got guys defensively that can just go win you a game. And TJ Watt, make a skill to where even if some of those guys just kind of touch the football, whether it's George Pickens or even a couple other guys that they can go uh, make a big time play. So I definitely say Pittsburgh. I, Cincinnati, probably not, but still. I mean, they've got kind of enough weapons that, you know, I'll be curious to see how, you know, Jake Browning kind of handles that. I mean, certainly he's got really no experience in the NFL. But, I mean, hell, when, when you put it like that, you know, Jimmy, I, I don't I guess the Raiders have a couple of those guys as well, and Devonta Adams and Max Crosby and Josh Jacobs, but. I don't know. Maybe since we watched Aiden O'Connell, I'm still just kind of like, wait a minute, is Aiden O'Connell really going to lead a playoff team as a rookie here? And then you throw in the whole interim head coach and just kind of water fighting its level. In that sense, um, you know, Houston, based off what we saw in week two, it's kind of hard for me to get rid of that memory, but obviously they've looked really, really good, and clearly they would have the best quarterback uh, of that group when you take Burrow out of the equation. So, um, yeah, you know, I could probably put the Colts a little bit even with Cincy. You know, I, I don't know, a little bit toss up with Vegas. Houston maybe a fraction behind just based off Stroud. But I think it's important to remember, Jimmy, just because, you know, maybe if you rank those teams one to five, I wouldn't put the Colts one or two on that list. I would probably say they have the easiest schedule out of those five. And they are, what, four and three, I believe, is their conference record right now, which is a key tiebreaker. So that's why right now, if you looked at the standings and really factored in schedules and tiebreakers and things like that, you would put the Colts much higher on that list, in my opinion, than if you just ranked them strictly like one to five, best to worst. Kevin, the other side of my previous question regarding the Colts would be this. The area that you still are looking at it and go, I can't believe we're a week away from Thanksgiving and this area still plagues the Colts and they have simply not performed where they need to is what? Yeah, I would say disappointing. Probably just that that, that edge pass rush. Um, you know, Quiddy Pay, I just don't think has been enough for you. And with how much attention DeForest Buckner commands in the interior, you would like to think just the you know, consistent one-on-one matchups that, you know, really pay. And I think Samson, Evan Common on the other side, has been relatively quiet the last couple of weeks. I mean, you, you'd like to see a little bit more there from that group. 
uh, a, a position that I probably was a little bit more optimistic on at the start of the year, and we haven't seen too, too – really, we haven't seen anybody consistently emerge, would be tight end as well. Um, I would throw that in there. Um, but, again, I feel like a lot of that just due to a little bit of a quarterback limitations and uh, obviously some injuries have you know, hurt, hurt that group as well. But that, that, that last part, just a timely pass rush. I mean, obviously you did it against New England. Uh, but still, I think against better offenses, can you dial that up when you need to? Um, I always think that could be a huge separator for teams, and it has been a question mark for the Colts in recent years, and I think still it could be a bugaboo at times. Kevin Bowen, I assume on Monday morning you'll have a recap for everybody about your SEC experience. Um, I, I Honestly, flippancy aside, I would highly suggest that you guys do stop by Bucky's just because it's like, I, I mean, it'd be fun. Just to, and you got to at least get the the banana pudding. But um, take a team picture with Bucky. Yeah, that's right. You got to stop by Bucky's. But look, man, have fun with it because it is a it's it's the perfect guys' weekend. So have fun with it. Yeah, I, I imagine if you you know ever go down the bachelor party route, Jake, one day it'll you will have a stop at Bucky's. <laughs> Yeah, I should. Oh, you might get married there. <laughs> hey, Shan, I got news for you. Kevin's you playing for dessert. Who needs a wedding cake? <laughs> they, I'm telling you, get some. Hey, listen, for dinner here at the reception, you just swing by the brisket station. <laughs> you got it, man. Have fun with it. Thank you, boys. You guys have a great weekend. All right, you too. Kevin Bowen on the hotline, man. He, he, I'm telling you. It is, it is something, you know, the, like the thing about Bucky's also, they have the sign out front that says like the general managers make like 125 a year. Yeah. I mean, like, and they have like 90 gas pumps. I mean, it's unreal. Like you go in there, you could literally go in and the one, there's one right across from the Texas Motor Speedway. And I remember once after like a Friday practice session, like going into Bucky's at like 1130 at night. And you would have thought it was literally the, like the target on black Friday at four in the oh, afternoon. Man. That, it's I mean, unbelievable. Th- that That's a different time slot, right? To That's a better story than mine of being there in the daytime. I didn't know what to expect. And yeah, I walk in there and it feels like black Friday. Anxiety. Oh, and you're like, in there for what are we doing? I, I mean, honestly, like you're in the only thing I would warn people about if you're on a road trip and you're like, let's just go in like what, like those guys are doing right now. You're in there for minimum. What we were there at least an hour. Uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, like it's the only place where you can buy literally brisket, pajamas, rattlesnake jerky, home decor, uh, uh, total like a, a, a fireplace. There's a whole Hobby Lobby basic section within totally within Bucky's, and they also have the other thing that that'll give Bucky's credit. They're making like you know they're like roasting walnuts in there and like candied nuts and that kind of thing. So they have they're pumping through you know like in the casinos they pump oxygen into the casinos. Sure. At Bucky's they're pumping through the smell of like maple sugar or whatever like I, I mean you walk in there and literally you're like how did i just walk into cake create yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> and i know that it's like a little bit it, it kind of has become like almost too big a fad but 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 the first time that you go into it you literally are like i can't believe what this is like literally diabetic nirvana correct yes
and and you turn any shelf and you're going to find it. There'll be. There, Can you imagine taking like if you if you just I've always wondered about this. The confection section is crazy. Oh, cookies, fudge, cupcakes. If you were to take somebody like you walk into Bucky's and you realize why the rest of the world despises America, right? Because because we don't need. We don't need jelly beans. We need 900 variations of jelly beans, right? That have been crushed up like, into a donut correct. that was deep fried. Beef jerky's not no. enough for us. No. We've got to actually have pepper steak flavored ostrich tendons. Okay, great. Yes. I, it's unreal. But can you imagine taking somebody? I don't even know what it would be, but you know, you hear about like like tribes of people that are that are living like very like you know by their own choice rudimentary lifestyles and then taking them and airdropping them in take, there take somebody that lives regularly in venice that is used to just like you know the the beautiful water and the architecture totally. and delicious italian food and just don't tell them where they're going but just airdrop them into a bucky i mean they have <laughs> now the worst job ever well not the worst there are a couple i can think that would be worse but i'll give them credit they literally have, you walk into the men's room and it's not a men's room. It's like this. It's like a, it's like a, an arena, and the entire four walls are lined with individualized locked doored booths that are like marble palaces. And there's like you walk out from using the bathroom, and as soon as you walk out, a Bucky's employee is like bumping you out of the way with a mop to go in and clean up because one person just used the restroom in there. Terry's got more on it. Joins us. Just called in, inspired by the Bucky's conversation. Hi, Terry. What's up? Barry, I love your conversations, man. They just they they just make me excited every time I hear you. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if that's I don't know whether to be flattered or offended, Terry. But thank you. <laughs> hey, uh, so I have a Jeep, and I'm in, I'm part of a Jeep group. I took a Jeep group to a Bucky's trip. We we came from Indianapolis and went down to Kentucky just to go to Bucky's. Now. The biggest thing you just you just hit on the part I called about was the bathrooms. It's Those unreal. Bathrooms are like it's the Taj Mahal of the bathroom. <laughs> yes, I mean, it is. Like you actually you wanted, want to stop at Taco Bell beforehand just to have reason to go in there, right? That bathroom, I'm telling you. A buddy of mine went to Bucky's, and you know how big they are, and you know that you know the bro code when you go to a urinal, right? Of you course. Don't, you don't. You never get to the next part. Next, you never never go to the middle one and always leave a space. Correct. So what he did, he's standing there, the only one in the bathroom. This guy walks in, stands right next to him, (laughs) and he looked at him and goes, "What are you doing?" (laughs) I mean, for real, because they've only got nine hundred of them, right? It's unbelievable. No, wait a minute, Terry. This Jeep group. I've got a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Does that count, or are these Wranglers only? You know, for you, I'd make an exception. Do you do the Jeep wave? Every day. All right. I just make sure. Every My day. wife has a Jeep. She's very, very big on the Jeep wave. Terry, you've not called yeah. the program before, right? I had called one other time, um, but it was a quick call. But I love your show. I listen to it every day. Um, well, I mean, you're, you're, the conversations you have, it's never about what you think it's going to be about. It's outside the box. That's the way I think. So, Man, you're you're top of the line to me, man. Well, you and my mom, that's two people, Terry. We greatly appreciate it. Um, and you are, in terms of the Quarry and Company, you are the director of Jeep Finance. How's that? I don't even know what that means, but but that's what you I'm are. Broke. That's right. Terry, I appreciate it, man. Drive safe, all right? Thanks, buddy. All right, there we go. Here's my only complaint 
with Bucky's. It's not really a complaint. I just think w- when you go into those bathrooms, you would expect this. It was a college football Saturday when we went. <laughs> my my wife got my frustration at times. Like, all right, that's fine. We'll go. When I went into the Bucky's bathroom, I half expected there to be a live feed of college football, like a big television in each in each bathroom, right? Because just how nice they are. I, I say that tongue in cheek, but you expect there oh. to be literally everything in there. I'm surprised there's not televisions in the bathrooms. I, total, I, I totally agree. A little workstation. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they are literally like I've stayed in boutique hotels with smaller rooms than the yes. Bucky's bathroom. Yes. For for absolute certain. I promise, by the way, we probably should talk about some sports, including what happened last night about 50 miles south of here. We'll get to that next. Twenty-eight minutes before the hour of three o'clock. Jake Query along with Jimmy Cook. Gonna talk about Indiana and Wright State from last night here in just a second. Before we do that, though, only because he has been patiently waiting for like literally the entirety of the show, which is very much appreciated. Let's take Bill, who joins us on the show. Hi, Bill. How are you? Guys, how you doing this afternoon? You know, Bill, you sound, uh, and I appreciate your patience, man. I, hopefully we haven't put you to sleep. I'm doing okay. You sound um, wide awake today. Well, uh, you know, when I when I placed the call, I uh, uh, have been cleaning the kitchen. I, I cleaned my whole house. So it's, been, <laughs> it's been the most productive. And, and Bill, I know you. Whole time Here's the life. thing, Bill. I know you. You got a huge house, too, so that's saying something, right? Yeah, it's, yeah it was uh but it was fun. It was it was it was uh, enjoyable to listen to, and and I just got to say one thing about uh, bands that you used to listen to in college or older bands. When I was down in Bloomington, there was a band called Trash, and they were a a post David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, glam band where they started like like the Kiss era when Kiss started. They started putting on makeup and stuff like that, and the it, it wasn't for like about eight years. I didn't realize that the lead singer of a glam band back in the seventies was John Mellencamp. Really? Yeah, and that was he was Johnny Cougar, and then he uh, he morphed into oh, yeah. John Cougar. John Mellon, yeah, he's he, he went in several variations. Yeah. Now, yeah, but, uh, by the way, Bill, before I we get to your pacer Cougar. point, I got to ask you because you you are Turnbuckle Bill, you are the most loyal, not named Bill Benner. You're the most loyal Indiana football fan that I know. Um, how disappointed were you with that Illinois game because of the fact that now they're out of bowl eligibility? Well, I mean, you know, you always uh, – I, I think that Tom Allen's going to lose his job, let's put it that way. As an, as an alumnus and a big fan, I, I think he's going to because uh, I, I don't care how charismatic you are, uh, um, if, if, you, if you can't motivate the troops. I mean, Napoleon was charismatic also, and he didn't make it through Russia. So, I mean, Tom <laughs> Allen, I think, has to he's – he's in a position where he has to be Purdue. A, a, a bad loss to Purdue, and it, you know it's a change of zip codes as far as as far as I can tell, uh, and because I, I'm part of the fan base that just uh, uh, won't have it. We're you know we're just we're just we're just kind of tired of it, you know. And and uh, uh, I, I, but he's likable, you know. He, he's he's a likable type of guy. He's entertaining, you know. I think you know he's. Uh, I'd like to know what vitamins he's on, you know, because he's he's. <laughs> He's jacked up, and I'm sure he's he also great. cleans sure. his entire house in an hour and a half. Yeah, I bet, I bet you he does. Uh, but, uh, but, but I hope he stays. But, but I wouldn't be surprised if they if they let him go. But uh, I wanted to uh, say something about uh, the fact that this this Sunday is the 19th anniversary of the malice in the palace, and uh, 
any Pacer fan that was a Pacer fan back then. I can't believe um, it's been that long. Yeah, it has. It was 2004, November 19, 2004. And uh, uh, the Netflix uh, documentary, uh, Malice in the Palace, is a really good watch, not only for sports fans in general or historians or whatever you want to say, but, but Pacer fans need to need to watch that because uh, I got so much more out of it than, than living it in real time than going back and looking at all the clips. You know what, and, Bill? Uh, I'll tell you what's interesting about that. As I watched Draymond Green the other night, and listen, I, I, I said at the time, and I will stand by this, I, I do think, and there's, you know, it's been 19 years, right? But, but I do think that at the time, in the moment, in real time, that the penalties that were levied amongst the Pacers were just because of the fact that, at least for Artest and Jackson going into the stands, and I love both those guys, there is no videotape in the history of local sports of my career that I've that I had to edit more and air on television more than the video of the Malice of the Palace. I mean, I was working at Channel Six at the time. It was ubiquitous amongst the conversation that we had, obviously, for a long time. But I look back on it now and I'm like, you know what? For Jermaine O'Neal to get and I can't remember what it was at the time, I think it was thirty games. And, you know, Jermaine did not go into the stands Neither here nor there. I, it was a long time ago, and there's no sense going back over like what the penalties were and if they were you know the wrong or whatever. But I just thought, based on that precedent, it is crazy to think that Draymond Green. I thought Draymond Green exceeded. And we haven't talked about it, but his when he went after Rudy Gobert and basically, I, I mean, he was choking him, and and it was the above and hole. beyond. Yeah, it was above and beyond like just pulling a guy out of a scrum or whatever else. That was flat out an assault and. And it was against a competitor on the floor as opposed to, you know, there is some truth to, like, defending yourself. And he wasn't defending himself. I mean, he was he was taking something above and beyond. And I, I was surprised, based on that precedent, again, my favorite word, that Green only got five games. But the Malice in the Palace, you're right. The, the, the documentary, the one that Jermaine did also, is really good. Um, and I can't believe it was 19 years ago. But, but it was. Um, now... In terms of last night, Jimmy, talking about Indiana and Wright State, I, I thought, and Kevin touched on it, Khalil Ware is really turning into a nice player for Mike Woodson, assuming that he is able to maintain at the same level that he's played now throughout. At Oregon, the knock on Khalil Ware was the fact that he was a really good player for Dana Altman, who then, at times, his motor just wasn't going 100%. And he would, you know, he kind of backed out from time to time, or he just, you know, whether it was lazy, whatever you want to call it. That was the knock on him. But he has so far been consistent. Xavier Johnson, it feels like, needs to take more of an initiative, I think, in terms of their offense. And then last night we finally saw a little bit of motor from McKenzie and Baco. But for a guy that many had said is as good a shooter as you're going to see for a long time, one for seven from three, you know, maybe it's a temporary thing, but he's got to get that shot going somehow. I don't think – that the reason the Hoosiers are going to struggle this year, assuming they do, and who knows, they can figure it out. It's very, very early. You're never going to have to say it was because of Clillware. I, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem this year. Again, I, I didn't, I, Jake, I haven't read or consumed as much about his time at Oregon as you have, but just in this small sample size, I've never had a takeaway yet. And maybe it changes in a Big Ten play where it's much more physical, where they let you get away with a little more. Maybe he does shy away from it, and those tendencies come back up. 
I don't think that's going to be where the issue lies this year. My bigger issues with this team right now are, to your point about Xavier Johnson, maybe needing to do more. You also need somebody else to be able to help him when he's not out there. Where, where does the guard play go and rise to another level or stabilize when he's on the bench? Additionally, is this just what Indiana is doomed with in terms of beyond the arc accuracy? Like three of 16, we were joking about the Archie Miller era. That feels like an Archie Miller team. Again, one game sample size. I'm not worried about it just yet, but you need shots to start falling from beyond the arc because if all you are is an inside team, when there's teams that do that as effectively or better in some cases, like you could argue about Purdue, if that's all you are, the rude awakening isn't just going to start against UConn. It's going to continue throughout the entire Big Ten season. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite, you know, jumping off bridges and getting worried about what IU basketball is going to be this year because I still believe in what Mike Woodson is going to or has been building. But I feel like, and we've talked to other big-time people that follow college basketball on the regular, it feels like they might have missed in the portal of getting another reliable shooter or guard to help this team. I hope I'm wrong on that. I, I hope that, who knows, maybe they go out and they punch UConn in the mouth here in a couple days up at the Empire Classic, but I, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't worried, especially when it's twice now key players on an opponent. FGCU was the first, and then last night with Wright State, key players have missed because Correct. of injury, Good point. and yep. they've not taken advantage of it to the way you think they would. Jimmy, in terms of Khalil Ware, I agree with everything you said. Um, and I don't – look, it's not like I was going back and, and analyzing game film right. of him at Oregon, right? I'm just going by what was – and also when he got to Bloomington in talking to people about him that monitor those kinds of things, um, that was the narrative about him, kind of what was said about him on the way out the door in Oregon. But my thing with – in I want to be careful in the way that I say this because I don't want people to think that I'm doing it as an attack on young people at all. I get it. I, I, I kind of support it and understand it, Right. Basketball in general, and it's always been this way to a great extent, but basketball in general is, you know, there's a lot of individualism that comes with it. But 10 years ago, five years ago, you know, whatever, NIL has changed everything. Yeah. And by NIL changing things, what it has done is it has allowed, you know, when I go Jimmy, I go and, and speak to like high school kids or college kids about broadcasting or whatever else. And the thing that I tell them all the time, and if, if there's a young person listening right now, the thing that I would most want them to grasp of anything I've ever said is this. We live in an era now where you are your own brand. People wear, young people wear Puma or Nike or North Face or you know Patagonia or whatever it might be because those companies have branded themselves as the best available of that of what you're looking for. And so you buy what they are selling you. Individuals now, people are your own brand. And when you post something on social media on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever it might be, then you are it is that you are showing how you are promoting your own brand. And that's your digital imaging and your digital footprint. And young people should realize that when they go for a job interview, they go for a college interview, they go for an internship, they are immediately being Googled and people are looking at, okay, how do you represent the brand of you? 
And in today's world in 2023, everybody has the ability to be their own individualized brand. And that's great because if you if you do it the correct way, it can really be advantageous, but it can sink you as well. And for the NIL era, each individual player now, unlike in the past, we knew Fab Five, we knew those guys were getting paid, right? But they couldn't yeah. they couldn't be overt about it because of the obvious infractions that came thereof. In the NIL era now, you have players that are that are going to situations because it's the best thing for their own brand of marketing. But then you run the risk of, okay, we're going to use you for what you bring to the table here, and you're going to use us to, to, to build your own brand. But there's a happy medium there of making sure that there still is enough team aspect in it where a player is willing to set aside a little bit of that marketing of themselves to buy into what's the best opportunity for the team. And what I don't know, I don't know if even Mike Woodson knows it, Khalil Ware, for example, is a wonderful talent. And what you have to hope is that he is not at Indiana simply as a mercenary to use it because that's going to allow him to catapult his name into the NBA, but that he does have some interest while he's there of doing what is necessary to win games for Indiana as opposed to win likes for Khalil Weir. And I'm not picking on him. I'm using him just as an example and using his name generically speaking. But the aspect of self over team by all account, is what was the reason it didn't work out for him at Oregon, and you hope now that it works out for him in Bloomington. So we have a very unique, very exotic plays of the day set up today. But, well, before we go any further, maybe a play to monitor for the rest of the year as we have some breaking news to close out Query and Company. Do you want me to do the mimic the breaking news sound? There we go. This from Ian Rappaport, this first part's not. Turns out it wasn't a sprained wrist. This from Ian Rappaport. Bengals QB Joe Burrow is out for the year with a torn ligament per coach Zach Taylor. He had his MRI this morning. Jake Browning, who finished last night, is his backup. So maybe that's something to monitor the rest of the way. I, I'm fading the Bengals unless I'm doing prop bets on Jamar Chase or fading something Fading like the Bengals for the non-degenerates. Can you explain what that means? I, w- I will not be taking the Bengals anymore this year. I'm fading them. If I was going to go with them, I'd be tailing them. I'll be fading the Bengals for the remainder. So you're phasing them out. Yes. You're 86ing the Bengals. Correct. Okay. Now, this is a weird plays the day, but I'm going to go rapid fire. So totally run out of time. I am out next week on some vacation days. So there will be mixed in, if you have your pens and paper ready, the Thanksgiving slate oh, is in okay. these plays. All so right. first for this weekend, I'll take the Chargers on the money line over the Green Bay Packers, uh, both a mascot war there, Jake. Lightning's going to uh, take out the old Packers there as well. Uh, we'll lay the six, minus six are the Houston Texans, so we'll take them as they host the Arizona Cardinals. Tyreek Hill is an anytime touchdown score of the Miami Dolphins when they play the Raiders, and I'm going to take the Chiefs on the money line of Monday Night Football as they host the Eagles. No shock there. For Thanksgiving, again, I won't be here. These are Thanksgiving Day games. I will lay seven and a half on the Detroit Lions over the Green Bay Packers. I will lay four and a half on the 49ers. They are in Seattle against the Seahawks, and I'll lay the nine and a half on America's team if they still are that. The Dallas Cowboys as they take on the Commanders. is also a Black Friday game. Lay the six on Miami against the Jets. Those are the plays, and if I may, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, including yourself, so I won't see you next week. And so Carl's you are, well. are you going out of town? or No, I'm just going to we always have family coming to town. I'm going to use the days just to spend more time with family that ordinarily wouldn't get to see. You got big plans for the weekend? Uh, this weekend, no, not really. 
Uh, college you, football, there's no major game. Like, there's not like an it game in college football, right? Tennessee, I mean, Georgia, Tennessee is pretty right? big. Even Kevin's though they've going. fallen off the last couple of weeks, the volunteers have. But maybe they pull the upset at Rocky Top. Who knows? You know, Tennessee, I think it was a couple of years ago I was driving through Knoxville. when they Remember when Tennessee with Hendon Hooker hit a field goal late to beat Alabama? I do. We had a uh, party I was going driving through Knoxville, day. like right as that happened, turned on the, the local broadcast <laughs> of it. And literally the announcer's like, kick up. Good. Tennessee's beating Alabama. And I'm like, is this the Alabama, be the Alabama feed? Surely. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, it was very understated. Uh, Clemson taking on North Carolina. Does Clemson get pick up another loss, Jimmy? Probably. No, it's a new era for for uh, for Dabo. After that win over Notre Dame and the caller from a couple weeks ago, he's fired up. He's ready. They beat North Carolina. Well, I hope you're right. All right, John's up next. You folks have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you, of course, on Monday on Quarry Company.